0: The following program is an MLWRadio.com production. Oh, yeah. Today we're going to be talking about wrestling with debt. How can our listeners lower their monthly payments or consolidate their debt? With Bruce.com. Make saving money. I was hoping to talk to Bruce. When you save money with First Family Mortgage and something to wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard, you deal directly with us. Oh, yeah, well, you don't need perfect credit, uh, huh Even with credit scores in the 500, SaveWithBruce.com makes saving money easy. We want to personally help you get started saving money, buying the home of your dreams, and help you get out of debt right here at SaveWithBruce.com. SaveWithBruce.com makes saving money easy. We make this fast. We make it easy. It's just a few clicks to get you started to saving money immediately.
1: NMLS number 65084, equal
0: housing lender. Mother. Well, they're calling the natural. natural. Naturalist to me. Yeah, they're calling the natural.
1: What Happened When fans, we'll get right back to Tony and Conrad. I just want to share with you a special opportunity where you could win two shirts of your choice from What Happened Win Monday or something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard for a donation of $5 or more to musicoutreach.org. Musicoutreach.org wants to give lessons to kids regardless of their ability to afford it, and I appreciate any help you can give us. For the next month, July 14th through August 14th, we are giving a special deal to What Happened Win fans and something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard fans. Just make a donation to musicoutreach.org of five dollars or more, and you can win two t-shirts of your choice from what happened when Mondays or something to wrestle. Just make a small donation of five dollars or more, throw us a tweet or make a Facebook mention about it, and you'll be entered to win. Thanks and have a great day. Now back to Tony and Conrad. All
0: systems operating
1: within normal design parameters. Welcome to World Championship Wrestling! the major leagues of professional wrestling. What a program we have for you today because we're a part of WHW.
0: Engage Cybernetic Generation
1: Sequence. What Happened When? And now, let's go to the ring. And here is Hey Hey, Conrad Thompson.
0: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When? Monday, right here on the MLW Radio Network, and the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, too hot to handle, too cold to hold. Here he is, Tony Schiavone, master of ceremonies, King Slapdick himself. What's going on, Tony? How are you?
1: How are you, Conrad? And hello, Slapdicks around the world. Thank you for being with us. We appreciate everything that you've done for us. Let me say... Right off the top, that I love you, Conrad, and I love the <laughs> wrestling business. And Bruce Pritchard can kiss my ass.
0: Well, I so think I everybody. I start with that. Yeah, I think everybody agrees with that. I don't know what's going on with you guys. Hopefully, one day we can have a two out of three falls match. Maybe a Punjabi I, I prison match.
1: I don't know what's going on either. I was uh, we were in Dallas, of course, and Bruce and I. We're buddying up and had great talks. He's a great conversationalist, as you know, uh, knows so much about the business and been so successful. And then I listened to, uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And I, you said, Hey, we had a great time in Dallas in our super show. And Bruce said, yeah, I had fun being there and I had fun being there with you. Conrad didn't even mention my fucking name. Okay. So you know what he can do? Thank God you and Dave Silva were there.
0: Yeah, it is what it is. He's, uh, he, he hasn't necessarily read that Dale Carnegie book. I've been pushing on him all these years, yeah. but either way, man, That's we had hard. so much for him. We had a good time last week. I really enjoyed uh, our show last week. I felt like we've had a couple of fun shows lately, but uh, I got mostly good feedback from last week. What'd you think of last week's episode, Tony?
1: Got some good feedback too. Uh, I, I think, uh, you are, you hit the nail on the head when you said the word fun. Uh, we're having fun doing this. We're having fun going back and reminiscing about, uh, some of the, uh, old days, some bad, some good. Uh, I believe it or not. Now I'm going back and I'm watching the stuff. And I thought, first of all, I never thought I would watch this stuff ever again. Right. Never thought I'd do it. And then when I started to do this, I, I'm thinking, okay, God, I got to go back and watch my shit and I'm going to, uh, I, it's going to be horrible. I'm, I'm enjoying some of the stuff. I'm kind of not, I'm kind of not thinking about what I'm saying on the commentary. I'm just watching the guys work and watching what's going on and trying to follow the storylines. And I'm really enjoying myself. So thank you for coming up with this idea of what happened when Monday. Uh, and, uh, thank you very much because it's, it's got me back into it and it's made me realize
0: how much I really deep down in my core love pro wrestling. Yeah, and, and the thing that's fun to me about wrestling and podcasts like this is it, it takes us back to a time where we did enjoy it. And so a, lo- a lot of us don't enjoy things maybe the way we once did, and I don't think that's unique to wrestling. I don't enjoy a lot of the things I did as a kid the way I do now. And I think this podcast kind of brings back a lot of those fun memories, and I try to have fun with everything we do here on this show. Last week's show description for the Beach Blast 93 was, what happened when Colonel Parker wanted Sid and Vader to win so badly that he hired a dwarf wearing an eye patch to disguise himself as a shark in order to place a bomb on Sting and Davy Boyd Smith's boat when they were on an island for a charity volleyball match with children? Yes, this is WCW in 1993, and we discuss it for nearly two hours. I had a great time with that. Uh, yeah. We're trying to do that every single week. And this week, we're talking about something fun, It's the Macho Man Randy Savage, one of the biggest stars in the history of the business, and he came to WCW towards the end of 1994. There's lots of rumor and innuendo about all that. We're going to get into all of that. Uh, I I realized as we were doing research this week, uh, there's no way I can fit two years of Macho Man in here. There's so much happening with one of the biggest stars in the history of the business. And 95 is the time when WCW is really experiencing major growing pains, trying to bring in some more of the Hogan contingent, starting Nitro. There's just so much going. So we're going to have to do Macho Man 1996 at another time. So didn't mean to false advertise. I bit off more than I can chew. That would have been a freaking five-hour show, and and we just don't want to do that to you today. Um, But Macho Man, certainly one of the biggest stars in the history of the business. Wouldn't you agree, Tony? There was no doubt. And
1: I, I first met him in nineteen. I personally met him in 1989 when I started working for Vince McMahon. Uh, I, I remember him and Miss Elizabeth before then. Uh, the Macho Man was a big star for many reasons. Uh, he could work, obviously. We know that. I mean, if you think about some of the great matches ever in the wrestling, in wrestling, he was part of maybe the greatest one ever with he and Steamboat in WrestleMania '93. He could work. Uh, he had a great character. Uh, he could talk but more than that conrad i think what sets the macho man apart from everybody else and i and i truly mean this and i remember thinking this back in 1989 when i worked for the wwf back then that my god this guy puts more time and effort into his character than anybody i ever i ever saw in my life it, when we it, go ahead when we would uh when we would do pre-tapes in the back and i'm talking about 1989 and even uh, fast forward now here to uh, the year we're going to talk about, 1995. When you when you do pre-tapes in the back, you know the boys. They're, they're always uh, the boys I'm talking about. The wrestlers they're, they're always they're served dinner. They're served lunch. There's a big cafeteria area, but the boys have a tendency to hide or wander off. Put it that way. When agents want interviews, when agents want things to go well, I, I can remember many times.
0: Where an agent says, "Oh, we're looking for so and so, but he's not ready yet." Isn't because- that amazing when you think about it? Like, here we are in a time where so many so many wrestlers would love to have an opportunity to be on TV, and when you're yeah. on the outside, you're like, "Oh man, if I could just get on that WCW TV or that NWA TV or TVS or the WWF, if I could just get on their TV." And even now, you know, old timers who are working the independent circuit, they would love to be on TV this coming Monday. But once you're in the bubble, you're kind of like, uh, do I have to, isn't, that, isn't yeah. that weird that that's just the way our brains work?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's on an individual basis too. Some are prima donnas. Uh, some are just lazy. Some need Ritalin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they do. They need Ritalin to, to pay attention. I think a first name comes to mind for you and me. Uh, but uh, they would just wander off, and agents would get pissed off, and we you would have to slow down the progress, and sometimes you'd be late in getting things done because you couldn't find this guy. That was never the case with Randy Savage. He got to the building, he got into his gimmick, and he was ready to go. He was a professional, a professional from the word go. I always respected that about him through the years that I knew him, so... When he came to WCW, I absolutely loved him from my year I spent with him in uh, the WWF because I knew how much of a professional he was. I always said guys could really uh, take a tip from Savage, the way he approached everything. And that's why, one of the main reasons he is one of the big stars, was one of the big stars in the business.
0: Well, no doubt about it. Now, I do want to go ahead and mention, a minute ago, you referenced his match with Ricky Steamboat, and he said 93. I know you meant WrestleMania three. 84. But yes. I, I want to try to save us some tweets there. Now, All right. uh, they're going to tweet anyway. Well, I'm not they're mad gonna at that. They're going to fucking tweet anyway. <laughs> well, if you'd like for Tony to block you, please go ahead and tweet him at Tony well, Shavani twenty four.
1: I don't. I really don't block him uh, anymore. Uh, I just send ugly tweets back a lot of times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, trolls. Uh, go <laughs> yes. ahead. Start feasting on Tony Shavani. He's ready for you. <laughs>
1: Tony, there was, there, there, there was one, let me say this. Uh, there was one troll that showed up on Facebook. Wow. How did he find me on Facebook? And, uh, he's a guy from California. I wish I knew his name. Uh, the, uh, he looked, uh, I don't know. He looked like, uh, Horace Hogan, uh, at age 10. Uh, and, uh, he said some terrible things about you and me, but the motherfucker couldn't even spell. So, fuck you to him. Well, that's all I'm going to say about
0: that. I'm glad glad we took time out of our show to address that troll. (laughs) Um, talk me through (laughs) macho man in the early days. Did you see macho come through the Carolinas the first time? I I know he was uh, working in Georgia and Kentucky and Memphis. And I mean, he was all over the region where you kind of grew up watching wrestling. How familiar with him were you before you saw him on the big stage for the WWF?
1: Not at all. I think he made most of his, uh, he made most of his name really, uh, in Kentucky and Tennessee, if I'm right. Right. I, I, I'm sure the, I'm sure he and Lanny wrestled together, uh, maybe through Georgia or mid Atlantic championship wrestling. I'm not sure, but I, I, only, the first time I remember him really the first time I remember the macho man, Randy Savage, and I can't put a date on this. It was a, it was a, it may have been the Halloween special for Saturday night's main event. When they passed the pumpkin, uh-huh. and he and Elizabeth and Gene Okerlund uh, trying to pass the pumpkin, you know, putting the pumpkin between their chin and their chest, and and Okerlund was rubbing up against Miss Elizabeth. That's the first time I remember him. I do remember when I saw him, thinking, "Well, I've heard of the Macho Man Randy Savage, but not on the big stage." Now, right? Right. I think it was pretty apparent. He he, from that moment on, he became a a big time performer.
0: Now, when you were there with him in the WWF, uh, did you see any? Can you address the rumor and innuendo that he was overprotective of miss Elizabeth, he was locking her in closets and and all this craziness. There's lots of, uh, I don't know, hysteria about his behavior and the way he treated miss Elizabeth in like an overprotective, overbearing type manner. Did you witness any of that when you were in New York or, or is that just something people like to talk about?
1: No, I, I did not witness him locking her in a closet. That seems pretty extreme never did hear that story. But I remember Bruce Pritchard, God, I got to bring up his name again. Bruce Pritchard saying, you know, he is really overprotective of Liz and he was, he really was. He, uh, you know, they were always together. She would never be able to walk out between a pre tape or, um, the lunchroom or wherever without him being with her. He always escorted her everywhere he went. Uh, I'm sure some of that was jealousy, but, but I think some of that was the fact that Elizabeth was really a good person, uh, and just a, just a, a fine young lady. And he wanted to shield her from the business, the, the underbelly of the business, the horrible underbelly of the business, which unfortunately kind of led to her demise.
0: Now, when you're saying the underbelly of the business, are you talking about, um, other dudes or drugs and alcohol, which obviously, I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm asking is everybody knows how Miss Elizabeth passed away and, and what all was involved. But right, was he really trying to be overprotective of her in the sense of, hey, she's, you know, susceptible to drugs and alcohol or, man, I don't want anybody else kind of, I'm marking my territory here.
1: Yeah, that was part of it. Yeah. But the, when, I, when I say the underbelly of the business, uh, you can throw a lot of things in that bucket. Sure. Uh, guys hitting on girls, right, uh, and um, drugs and alcohol. But also, uh, as you say, rumor and innuendo, you can throw that in because the politics in the in the business and the gossiping in the business, you know, once you get involved in that and get involved in that part of it. Uh, it, uh, it's, it's not good for you. And he didn't think that was good for her. Does that make sense? Kind of just shield her from all that, as we say, bullshit, uh, that sometimes was harmless, but, uh, sometimes would, uh, would, would do you wrong.
0: No, I totally get it. It makes total sense to me. And if I were Macho man, I would keep uh, Elizabeth as far away from you as I possibly could. Uh, so let's talk about kind of how the end of that run happens, because this shocked a lot of people, I think when he leaves the world wrestling federation, Meltzer wrote about it in the November 14th edition of the observer all the way back in 94 and a stunning move. The 10 year relationship of the world wrestling federation and Randy Savage came to an end over the weekend. Savage in the midst of a serious negotiation with world championship wrestling. When did you first hear that this was a possibility? And is this something you ever thought was remotely possible given the high profile position that macho man was in? And before you answer, I know a lot of people will hear that and say, well, of course, Hulk Hogan was there. So why wouldn't macho man be, but Hulk Hogan hadn't been as front and center for the WWF as macho man had been. He had been, you know, on all the shows doing commentary, doing all the PR work. You know, Hogan's run had started to kind of dwindle a little bit in New York, uh, and he had been more selective picking his spots. Macho Man was seemingly all over everything at this point. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, he was. But I go back to that. I go back to the fact that Hogan was here. Gene Okerlund was here. When I say here, I mean WCW. Bobby the Brain Heenan was here. So it it seemed like that there was going to be an endless supply of of wwe people who are wif people who had had television exposure so it didn't surprise me that that he made his way here didn't surprise me at all uh because i i just knew how aggressive eric was in getting things like that done you know eric did things twofold he wanted to uh give wcw a, a high profile and he wanted to you know kick vince in the ass Uh, so pulling the way the macho man, Randy Savage did not surprise me at all. And I really heard about it probably like a week, week out. Uh, I heard that he would be coming. There were, there were contract negotiations going on that Eric did not tell us about, and I don't blame him. And again, I just kind of stayed away from it, did my work in television. And all of a sudden, guess who's coming? Who? The macho man. No bullshit. Yes, he is. I said, well, of course he is. Hogan's here, Oakland's here, Heenan's here. We're taking everybody from them. And, uh, so that it did, really didn't surprise me.
0: Have you heard the rumor and innuendo that, um, macho man was more affordable and almost free for WCW based on the way they were able to negotiate a slim Jim promotional contract that essentially WCW would receive enough cash that it would almost completely offset what they were paying macho in. Had you heard that rumor? Yes, I had heard that.
1: And uh, knowing Eric and knowing his negotiations, I think that probably is valid. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, Randy, uh, and his slim Jim's a big part of what he did. We all know that. Uh, and Randy wasn't going to work for free. Uh, and Eric worked out a deal to where, Basically, the money that WCW would get would be able to funnel to Randy Savage. And, uh, it was very affordable for him. It was a smart move.
0: It really was. It's kind of a no brainer situation for WCW. If you can get one of the the biggest stars of all time for roughly half a million dollars a year. And that seems like big money in 1995. It's big money anytime, but in 95, it's another level, but to know that, well, roughly what Slim Jim is going to pay to promote their product on your show. You can just pay for the guy that they really want. I mean, that, that seems like a no brainer deal. Now there's been lots of rumor and innuendo as to why the macho man left the WWF. So let's just go ahead and, and address them head on. Yeah, there is, there is the rumor out there that Vince went to, to Randy Savage and said he wanted him in more of a PR, uh, commentary, a non-wrestling role, but still very much featured with the company. And he was going to go with a youth movement and Macho Man, you know, I guess swallows that for a little while, but then eventually pitches a program with him working with Shawn Michaels for an extended period of time and a payoff at a WrestleMania match with Shawn Michaels. Who's obviously the up and comer in the company at that point against the Macho Man and Vince just isn't having it. And maybe that's what sparks the interest. There's a darker rumor out there, though, that there was some sort of falling out about the macho man maybe having a relationship with Stephanie that was inappropriate. Mm. Um, Have you heard either one of these rumors? Do you give any of them uh, any sort of uh, credibility?
1: I I don't know if I give uh, this Stephanie rumor any credibility. That rumor I did not hear. I did hear that Vince wanted to move him in more of a PR type announcer type role, which I often thought was would have been good for the Macho Man Randy Savage. I mean, they they went into their Attitude Era shortly after this, and 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 I'm not so sure Macho Man would have fit into that, or, or maybe he would have, or maybe he would have done a great job in putting him over. He was he was tremendous talker, and Vince wanted to use that. That I heard. How old was Stephanie back then?
0: underage is is yeah. the rumor. So the yeah. rumor is that I mean help me understand. That's, You're saying you've never heard that ever before just now? No. No, I never heard that rumor. That's a terrible rumor. I mean
1: that to me I mean if we're talking about someone having an affair or hitting on someone of age, yeah, but underage that, to me that just sounds some that sounds like someone wants to really heap shit on Randy Savage. Now you tell me has that rumor been verified or is it just bullshit in your mind?
0: Well, you know, lots of people, uh, have different opinions on that. I, I've talked to people in the business who believe it, but most of them don't. Uh, I yeah. don't, I don't believe that Bruce Pritchard believes it, but this rumor kind of gained a little bit of ground when macho man released a rap album late in his career, uh, I guess after he was done wrestling and he challenged triple H, uh, to a street fight. And he referenced something about Stephanie. And so that just got this rumor kicked up in a bigger way. And obviously, you know, Savage just knew what he was doing and he was trying to promote uh, his CD as much as he could and play into it. But either way, wrestling fans want some kind of these dirty little secrets in wrestling to be true. And so this gets passed around enough and, and people just want, I don't know why anybody would want to think that about the macho man, but. It's well, out there. Yeah,
1: it, uh, again, it goes back to Macho Man wanting to shield Elizabeth. He wanted to shield her from bullshit like this, too. Yeah. That news could get around. And, it's uh, again, it's another underbelly of, of wrestling. I guess maybe it's another uh, dark underbelly of society uh, to start bullshit like this. Look, I worked for Vince in 1989. I don't know when Stephanie started working. But she was completely removed from the business. Completely removed from the business uh and uh i i don't maybe she got more involved and was more th- was there in the office more or came to tv back then or after i left but stephanie uh was not
0: a part of the business back then and i don't know how macho man would have had any uh any dealings with her you know what i find interesting is you know in wrestling and this is such a weird situation of course to even talk about with with macho and stephanie here not as many people that I that I know, the wrestling fans I know, who really talk about this and believe it, don't say it in a disparaging way for the Macho Man. It's not like, I can't believe he would do this. It's like, can you believe Vince is upset about this? It's, it's just a weird situation. And let's talk about another weird situation, because there's lots of... Macho Man is one of the more interesting characters in the history of wrestling, and Meltzer had this to say uh, upon discovering the negotiations with WCW. Savage had apparently mended fences with Hulk Hogan after a bitter out of the ring hatred between the two stemming from Savage's much publicized 1992 divorce. Apparently it was Hogan or Jimmy Hart who wanting to relive his glory days against the opponent that he drew more money with than any other patched things up to allow negotiations to bring Savage to feud with Hogan. Um, had you heard this, that, that Hogan is the one who was, who's was campaigning to bring him in. Yes.
1: I had heard that. I, I thought it was pretty logical because they, they had made a, a lot of money together and i had heard they had patched things up. So I, I heard Hogan was behind this again. Remember when, when Eric brought Hogan in, Hogan had complete creative control over what he would do. And that was, that involved <laughs> the butcher <laughs> If you know what I'm talking about. Sure. Z- Zodiac, your buddy. Uh Brad yeah, the
0: fucking Barber Beefcake. I know
1: exactly yes, what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Bringing him in. It involved him bringing in the macho man, Randy Savage. So Hogan, had, Hogan not only had creative control as far as uh, the storylines were concerned, he had a hand with Eric into, hey, let's get this guy. He could work with me. Or let's bring this guy in. We could do something with him. Uh, so, yeah, Hogan was a part of that. There was no question.
0: Chat me up. Was it, was his falling out Their falling out, uh, about the divorce from Elizabeth? Was that something that you guys knew? I mean, obviously neither one were there with you and WCW in 92, but was it, was the falling out kind of locker room talk that, uh, Hogan had maybe played a hand in the divorce or gotten involved uh, to a degree that Macho Man wasn't comfortable with. And now they were estranged, so to speak. no, Okay. Um, no, I, I uh,
1: again, we're, we're getting back to rumor and innuendo, and I just, uh, if he protected her in the business, uh, like we all say, I, I, I can't see how that would have happened.
0: Uh, Meltzer would write, it's funny when the second biggest grossing day in the history of the company is almost a disaster. Such was the case with Halloween Havoc 94. The preliminary estimates from independent sources put the buy rate at about .95%, well under the predicted 1.5 by cable industry analysts and the 2.0 widely predicted within the company for the career versus career match between the biggest stars in the United States modern era. He's talking, of course, about Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan when you guys put Flair's career on the line and Halloween Havoc. And he's setting the stage here to explain that this is the reason that bringing Savage makes sense, uh, because Halloween Havoc 94 had been a disappointment. Do you think that uh, they were looking for something, and by they, I specifically mean Bischoff and Hogan since this flair hogan th- experiment with the career on the line didn't really pay off a halloween havoc was this like well let's just fall back to what we know and let's see if we can put something together with savage do you think that's why they hit the panic button
1: no not at all i i, I think that they the, uh, again in wrestling you're, you're always looking for something new and you're always looking to move forward uh, i don't think that uh, the the down buy rate, as Dave Meltzer reported, was the reason the Macho Man Randy Savage ended up coming there. I think that was probably all in their in their plans all along uh, to try to update the roster, to try to make it bigger, to try to bring in the big stars. Uh, and uh, I don't think that pay per view had anything to do with it. I, I I can see where Meltzer would think that. Sure,
0: but I, I
1: no, not at all. Why? Why would? Why would you not want to bring in the Macho Man Randy Savage?
0: Oh no, I, I think that makes sense. But I do think things happen when they're supposed to, and so from a timing perspective, uh, maybe it made sense to bring him in right then, or, or maybe it made sense to wait. It seems to me that you want have maybe tried to bring him in a little earlier in the year so you could build towards Starcade, but maybe that's me as a fan thinking Starcade was a bigger deal than it really ever was.
1: No, Starcade was always the big deal, and as as we call. Uh, Starcade was the first event where the Macho Man showed up. After he arrived, and he just showed up to what we call shake Hogan's hand, and then that led to, of course, you know, a year of him getting involved in feuds and everything, and and uh, being a friend of Hogan's, and of course, winning the world championship. And uh, I just, I don't think you can look wrestling as a year. Say we're going to start this program, like for instance, Royal Rumble and build up to WrestleMania or start at SummerSlam and build up to, I don't think you can look at a whole year. You just got to try to do the best you can and make each pay-per-view mean a lot. You know, Starcade was in many ways our WrestleMania, but it never was WrestleMania, right? No, yeah. we made it, we made a battle bowl and yeah, we ended up going love, to, yeah. to Nashville and everything like that. So, as in a wrestling, in the wrestling fans mind, it was a big deal,
0: but I think for us, it was just another pay-per-view. It began the, um, the rumor, according to uh, the wrestling observer newsletter is that the deal with WCW was not complete and Vince McMahon gets word that there's some serious negotiations going on. And that is what causes the split. Vince is not happy. Uh, he's furious in fact. And that leads to the end of his run uh in the WWF. And at the time they were even promoting him to be a special referee for Bob Backlund, Brent Hart, uh, in a title rematch for November twenty sixth at Madison Square Garden. But then, out of nowhere, Vince gets these words of these negotiations and and things come to a head and he's done. So McMahon does something he was never doing at the time, and he says publicly on the November seventh edition of Raw that Savage and the WWF had failed to come to terms for a new contract. And he thanked the company for all that he had done and wished him the best in the future. Uh, I guess this is maybe the first, you know, wish you the best in your future endeavor statement that the WWE released publicly like this. It was this, um, something that WCW took great pride in at this point. I mean, obviously macho man loses a little bit of leverage, but when you see the company, your biggest opposition at the time that you're competing with almost make a concession speech of sorts on air. This has to be something that Bischoff would be grinning ear to ear about, right? It was a big deal. It was a big deal for us.
1: Uh, It was a big deal in the wars that would, uh, would, would begin, you know, down the road with the Monday night wars. No question about it. Events always did a great job. Promoters throughout the years, Conrad did a great job of ignoring things when they happen in other words uh, when somebody left Crockett promotions for instance Billy Jack Haynes when he left Crockett promotions and as the rumor goes he threatened to kick Jim Crockett's ass because of a payoff they fired him and Jim Crockett told me and David Crockett told me uh, pretend he doesn't exist anymore or he never existed and that's what you always did for Vince to say that Acknowledged us, right, and and was a big deal. Sure, and uh, there there was no question that we we felt that it was part of, it was a big part of what we were doing, and and we had succeeded in that. Vince, I always thought Vince was very good at at, at you know ignoring other promotions. Uh, when uh, if you go, let's go back now and take a look at WCW compared to the WWF, or the WWF compared to Jim Crockett Promotions. We would say, for instance, Ric Flair is the greatest in professional wrestling. Or Wahoo McDaniel is the greatest in professional wrestling. They would say Hulk Hogan is the greatest in the WWF. Sure. And they would call their guys superstars, and we would call our guys stars. So they had the right marketing mind to ignore everybody else and consider the WWF professional wrestling. But when Vince McMahon says now that the contract negotiations are over, the macho man, Randy Savage, wishing the best. He is now acknowledging another promotion.
0: Well, let's, so, let's, let's talk well about, done. um, how some of that trickled down because Vince McMahon did such a good job in promoting his stars and marketing them in the eighties. that here we are in 1994 and on the heels of, of a fairly disappointing buy rate, uh, from a Halloween Havoc Ric Flair Hulk Hogan main event. Now we're on track for our big super show of the year, Starcade. And here's what we've got Hulk Hogan versus The Butcher for the WCW title, Sting versus Avalanche, Jim Duggan versus Vader, and Mr. T versus Kevin Sullivan. So that's what's floated out there as wow. being the big four matches at Starcade your response to hearing that that was the plan I mean in hindsight this feels like the worst possible Starcade that could be put together when you've got Hogan versus the butcher on top
1: would you agree with that yeah I, I would agree if you're looking for just star power uh, they they did a pretty decent angle uh, with the butcher you know putting a mask on and being his friend stabbing him in the back and all that uh, yeah, I mean that that uh, look that was a Hogan angle to me, that and I, and I, I never was in, with the exception of maybe one time, in with Hogan and Eric talking amongst each other about angles, but that was an angle that Hogan wanted. It was pretty apparent. Uh, and I think they did the best with it, angle-wise. Sure. Uh, as far as star power-wise, nah, it wasn't it. But when the Macho Man Randy Savage shows up and says he's going to be there, that helped that. I think uh, Starcade gave it a little bit more of a bump. Look, Hogan and Flair wrestling at Halloween Havoc is a main event that we had a year prior on Bash of the Beach. So Hogan and Flair had had their run.
0: Uh, Well, they were still big. It it actually wasn't a year prior. You guys did that in July of 94, and then you did it again in in Halloween Havoc 94. It was like, we don't know what else we're going to do. So uh, since we beat Flair once, let's just get the fucking shovels out. And and, let, and let's go all the way with it. Well, well, I can't wait to talk about that more another time. Yeah. Um, let's get, I to don't w- I
1: look, look, you, you can't, you, it's, it's a, a misnomer. It's something that Meltzer always talked about. It's something that the boys believed in. I never believed it. That once a guy loses on a pay-per-view, get the shovels out. He's done. If you're creative enough, no, that's not the case.
0: Well, I guess here's what I mean. um, when, Macho Man Randy
1: Savage lost to Ric Flair, at Bash of the Beach, and then later on became the World Heavyweight Champion. He lost to Flair one two three when Flair used the uh, uh, Angelo Papo's cane on his on his knock. So, I I, I don't buy that that you well, let's bury the guy because he's lost. I, I think well, creatively you can you can bring guys back.
0: I was talking about Flair and you actually literally buried Ric Flair in WCW in the desert. So. You can bury a guy. Uh, let's talk about oh, let's talk about debuting a guy. Uh, Randy Savage debuts on WCW Saturday Night at Center Stage in Atlanta, and this happens with an interview with Main Gene Okerlund. I don't know what I would expect here, but it feels a little anticlimactic for Savage to make his debut in this venue. I guess yes. because when when Hulk Hogan comes, you throw him a fucking ticker tape parade, and you shut down Disney, and you know give him the key to the universe, and and now when macho man comes in, uh, he, he does promos where Lasertron does. So talk me through why you thought this made sense to have him debut on WCW Saturday night.
1: Well, that was at that time, our, our top show. Uh, and we, we still, but it was done in fucking lousy center stage, sure. which was, I, I don't care. I don't care if you are a big time you feel your big time promotion like we did. If you have your show at center fucking stage, you're not, and you don't come across because when macho man, if you watch that and the music and everything, and you hear the fan response, it is a step above the old TBS studios back in the eighties. That's all it is. And you needed something for macho man, Randy Savage, something big for him to make an appearance in a big arena with people standing up. That's what we had. We had center stage. And uh, it came across as a popcorn fart. Don't you agree?
0: I think popcorn fart should actually be our next shirt over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. If you haven't checked it out in a while, I encourage you to do so. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, and they thought the Bill's Glass Bottom Boat Ride Tour shirt is the coolest wrestling shirt ever. He actually has it. Uh, For him and his dad. And his dad has no idea what it is. He's just an outdoorsman and thought it was fun. Uh, Flair hit it first. That's one of the more fun shirts. And uh, Flair was actually hit on your radio show, which we need to talk about soon. Damn, I'm good. It's still probably the top seller over there. But I'm really hoping that my wife picked this out. Will become uh, the sleeper shirt that we offer. But we've got two brand new ones this week, Tony. We've got hypothetically... In the Hulkamania style, so it's a red shirt with yellow letters, and instead of Hulkamania, it says, hypothetically, it's (laughs) Conradism here on the show. Uh, But if you listened to our Horseman episode, you heard all about Barry Windham and Tony Schiavone, and they're outing to the Whataburger with the jalapeno peppers and uh, waking up with a sticky burger on the back of your head. Well, we've got What a slap dick for you. It looks like the Whataburger logo. It's an orange shirt with the white imprint, and it's even got the Whataburger-style print below it, but it doesn't say Whataburger because that would be illegal. It says What a Slapdick. Pick up one of these shirts right now, ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. And as always, when you pick up a shirt, Tony actually gives you a call. Tony, I don't know if you saw this or not, but we had a, a few WWE superstars pick up some shirts this week from me. Did you see that? Yep, I, I did see that, uh, and uh, and I appreciate that. I believe. Uh... No, 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 don't say their names. I don't think they want. I don't think they want the extra heat. Uh, you're you're fucking fuck? persona non grata in the WWE. I don't know why that is, but. Uh, you're actually more hated than Bruce Pritchard there, so isn't it something? Yeah, that I'm, I'm
1: more hated in that place than Bru- What the fuck did I do? Well, except tri- what the fuck did I do? I think it's because that you're be evil, another, mean, be and nasty.
0: Shirt. You're evil, mean, and nasty. Like the t-shirts over at prowrestlingtees.com forward slash whw. Pick up a shirt; you'll be glad you did. I, I feel like we should talk about you know, this timing of Macho Man's debut here, because in his interview with Mean Gene, he announces that he's going to be at Starcade and that he wants to confront Hulk Hogan. And he's not sure oh. if he's going to slap him or shake his hand. And Meltzer says this was about the best thing WCW could do with him at this juncture, since without that intrigue, Starcade is kind of a dead show and having Savage wrestle on the show, wouldn't really help it. But if you promote that, is there heat? Is he with him? Is he against him? What's going to happen when Hulk Hogan goes nose to nose with the macho man, tune into Starcade to find out that's about as good of a hook as you can get. Wouldn't you agree
1: in light of uh, the lousy card? It is Uh, all of a sudden. Now the biggest thing about Starcade became that hook of Savage going to be there and we would promote that probably more and did probably more than the matches themselves
0: now of course at this time the litigation stuff between wcw and the wwf starts to really get ramped up and it will continue through the end of wcw it was reported that wcw was served with legal papers from titan a few days prior to savage appearing on saturday night and they were claiming that savage appearing on wcw tv would constitute a breach of contract with his agreement with titan um I don't know how that's possible. Meltzer admits that he doesn't know all the legal particulars at that point, but normally there's some sort of ruling that would keep guys from appearing on a competitor's TV for X number of days. And usually it's 90. Sometimes it can be 30 or 60 days, but sometimes it's as many as 90 and that's kind of what most of us are familiar with. Do you remember there being some talk in the office about, the WWF trying to prevent him from appearing on TV. Yes. WWF
1: did a lot of things to try to legally to try to fuck us up. So that was just another one of those things. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty apparent that, you know, as we went forward and as we were doing well, Vince had sent letters to Ted Turner, uh, and, uh, alerting Ted Turner as to what was going on on his television stations to try to get Ted Turner to, to shit on us, so yeah, that happened. That happened a lot. And, you know, there's a lot. There's in the, the the wrestle wars that we talk about, and the wrestle wars that are on uh, on the WWE network about the Monday Night Wars. That's just on the surface, man. There's a lot of shit that went on underneath. Uh, you know, legal battles, uh, threats of suits, injunctions. If I can use that term, that happened a lot. And you, you may call that dirty practices, but hey, you know what? That's business, trying to protect your ass,
0: right? Totally. I think it's kind of funny, though, that on TV, Vince is baby-facing this and saying, you know, we wish him the best in his future endeavors, and then behind the scenes, send him a fucking letter. He can't be yeah. on their TV. I, now, I get it. you got to do what's best for business, but it is funny that there is the the on-air Vince and then the real-life Vince, and those are not always the same Um, it comes out around this time. And I don't think a lot of fans knew this. I certainly didn't until I did some research here that the macho man almost jumped to WCW back in 1991. Apparently he and Elizabeth were having contract negotiations all the way back then. And at the time Savage was offered 600,000 and Elizabeth 200,000. Ultimately though, uh, they turned it down and they didn't make the jump. Of course, as we know, they stuck around the WWF a little while longer. Do you re- recall any rumblings back in 91 that Savage may be imminent? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. So maybe that's just all bullshit, rumor, and innuendo. Uh, here, though, it's reported uh, that Savage is coming in in 95 for $425,000 a year for a two-year deal. Uh, does that seem like that that money would be about right in your mind? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Um. So let's talk. Am I I doing
1: my great uh, greatest Bruce Pritchard impersonation? Just giving you one word answers.
0: No, I'm not frustrated. Yeah, but I haven't mentioned. You you can always tell when I get a little frustrated on the show because I will pivot to Tom Zink talk or medusa or deborah or something like that so that means you get pr- that means you're getting frustrated that means i think the show is dying and you're not okay, giving no. me very much so i'm gonna yeah. just make fun of you for a minute all
1: right i i thought that was just you giving me shit
0: as only you can do it But is. i guess that's
1: twofold okay. by
0: the way we get a lot i got a lot of feedback this week that people think i'm bullying you and i thought that was hilarious really yeah like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know i don't know it's it's a weird it's a weird deal Um, It is weird. I'm sorry. Go ahead. There's lots of rumors, of course, you know, that when Savage comes in, he's got to be figured into the title picture. You know, he's, he's been a main event player everywhere he's been. Um, what would would you have thought that immediately he would be programmed with Hulk Hogan and then they would be in a title feud and it would be Hogan Savage for the belt? Because as we're going to discuss, that's not what we got, but is that what you thought we would get pretty, pretty quickly? Yes, it is. I, why not?
1: Right. They were the headliners for, for WrestleMania Five, and they were two of the biggest stars ever. I thought that was the reason he was there, and I thought that was the reason that would we'll take care of our following year or following year and a half or whatever. Uh, I mean, you, you, Ric Flair got involved in this, I know, and Vader got involved in the angles uh, as well uh, with the Macho Man Randy Savage. So they, they, they did – try to use their top stars or who they thought were their top stars at that time with Savage. But I thought Savage and Hogan was the way we were, we were going to go. We were very good at picking up the leftovers. And I hate to say that. I don't want to, I don't want I don't want anybody to think I'm calling the macho man, Randy Savage, a leftover or Hulk Hogan, a leftover. But we were very good about taking established stars and their feuds. I thought, and running with it. And that may have led to our demise down the road. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was going to be Hogan and Savage.
0: Well, I think everybody did, but ultimately, as we know, Starcade rolls around it gets an overwhelming thumbs down in the observer uh seventy eight point three per cent in our main event, we see Hogan pin the butcher, uh, and after the match, Macho Man does a run in and shakes hands with the faces of fear and so it looks like at this point that everybody is about to ambush Hogan, including Savage. But instead, Savage turns on the heels and helps his brother, the Hulkster, and they shake hands and do their pose-down routine. Three-quarter star in the Starcade recap in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. What do you think of this as an actual debut for Savage? Obviously, he did his his interview with Mean Gene on Saturday night, but he's here, and after the main event of Starcade, and he's teaming with Hogan, not necessarily adversarial with him, did this feel like a, a popcorn fart, as you mentioned earlier? Uh, not, not really. It, uh, it, at the end of it, with he
1: and Hogan in the ring. You uh, know, again, you go back to this one thing: good or bad, what you think of it. You always wanted to try to give the fans uh, something at the end of a pay per view that made them happy. And I thought seeing Savage and Hogan together made the fans happy. I, I, I think Savage helping Hogan had a pretty good reaction, although the show itself was the shits. The end shot that we had or the end of the show with Hogan and Savage together, to me, made WCW look like it was really big time now. Here we have the two biggest stars within the last, uh, what, 10 years or so of the WWE, and now they were with us, and now they are together, and here we are, and pop a big bird to the WWF, and we're moving forward.
0: Uh, he actually made his in-ring debut for WCW against Avalanche, the former earthquake from the WWF on January 6th and 7th in Birmingham in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, he was replacing Sting on top. Sting was supposed to be in the ring with Avalanche, but according to the newsletter, uh, Sting was tired from his long trip from Japan and uh, also from Dave's report, quote, Savage only got polite applause each night and the matches were pretty dead. Do you remember right. these two uh, shows? Did, did you no. happen to see these? You didn't?
1: Okay. No, I did not. Polite applause. Polite applause. Polite applause. One of his uh, bullshit minions must have sent him that. You know who you are.
0: I Thank do. You. Go ahead. January. You. January 10th. Uh, Were same, you at that show? I was not. Uh, I was okay. not watching uh, wrestling here in January of 95. I would have been, though, uh, at the time I was... Uh, living in Guntersville, Alabama, so I wouldn't have been well, too far from Birmingham. Well, you, wait a minute. You, you you weren't watching wrestling back then? I was not watching wrestling in January of 95. What, what, what
1: the fuck were you doing?
0: I was being a normal, well-adjusted teenage boy.
1: <laughs> okay, but w- b- prior to that, you had been watching wrestling,
0: right? Yes, I was a okay. a slapdick kid who had right, not yet is- discovered girls. Uh, by January okay. of 95, though, my, my focus had, had pivoted a little bit. Okay, uh, this is a this is
1: a uh, Conrad intervention here we're doing. So as as a young buck, preteen, mm-hmm. uh, you loved wrestling. Sure. Once you started getting hard-ons, mm-hmm. you, you dropped
0: wrestling. When I got okay. hair on my peaches, it, it did wane a little bit. I was like, you know what? I don't know that I want to watch the guys roll around anymore. Maybe I can find something else for a little while. Ah, got it. So Conrad gets some pussy for how long? Well, well, you probably still are. I'm but. 36. Um, okay, it's so t- it's 10:30 in the morning right now, so yep. 12 okay, hours. So n-
1: all right. <laughs> so so now we move forward. When did you pick back up starting uh, loving wrestling
0: again? The very next you, you the you, very what? next well, year. The very next year.
1: Really? It was only one year.
0: Uh, well, it wasn't one year, but but I got back in in '96 when I'm flipping through the channels and I see Hulk Hogan in all black, and I thought, wait a minute, what what is this? Oh, Hulk Hogan's red and yellow. What's going on here? Uh, And that, that piqued my interest. And then I thought, well, Hey, I think if WCW has a show on Monday now, I think there's a show for the WWF. Let me click around. Oh, cool. Wait a minute. Is that cactus Jack? Is he wearing a mask? What's going on here? Boom. I'm back. I'm back in. Wow. Now I'm telling you slapdicks, you're listening to this story
1: uh, for the first time. Like I am, this is quite a story because Conrad, you, I mean, you know, everything, no, and no. You took a break. Oh, yeah, you do. Oh, yeah, you do. You're more plugged in than any motherfucker I've ever been around with in my life. Uh, and and But you you shunned away from it for a little while, which yeah. is amazing to me.
0: How about but this? I, I never saw Beach Blast 93 until last week when we wow. covered it. Now, I mean, I watched everything around it, and I did all my research, and I mean, I was well prepared. But I didn't watch it 93, 94, or 95. It was 96 before I got back in. And, but I came back in. You know, when Stone Cold Steve Austin is about to get the push of a lifetime, when the NWO has, has just started to, you know, plant some seeds, and it, it was a great time to be a wrestling fan, man. Yeah, it was.
1: And I guess if now that I think about it, you stepped out for a year. I stepped out for 16 years. So we're even right Yes, I've always loved wrestling, and I stepped away from it, so I understand.
0: I tell you what, I couldn't do what you did though. This whole traveling shit—this is for the birds, and and I'm only doing it like twice a month, and you're doing it all the time. So, and you're
1: in your 30s, and I love travel.
0: I—it's
1: for each his own. So, anyway, our intervention with Conrad Thompson has come to an end. Uh, Bully, you may continue. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thank you. I love that. That's going to be my new shirt. I'm going get, to I'm getting a bully shirt. So they do a, a program on January 10th. And this is where Jean Paul Levesque, uh, actually loses to Dustin Rhodes and Randy Savage faces off against Arn Anderson. And this comes to a conclusion when the entire stud stable, uh, Dick Slater, bunkhouse, buck and blacktop bully interfere. And this is uh, an attempted reboot of the stud stable from its heyday in continental wrestling. um, Savage was rescued here by Sting and Dustin Rhodes, and this leads us to a six-man match that's going to be taped the following day where we've got Dustin, Sting, and Savage taking on Dick Slater, Bunkhouse Buck, and Blacktop Bully. This feels like you guys have fucking nothing for Randy Savage to do here. Well, we don't. We don't. We're doing the best we can with a big star. It's amazing to me that he's positioned as a babyface when it feels like if he was the heel, all of a sudden you've got plenty of matches to make, but well, well, thank you, Mr. Booker. You disagree? Well, I mean, sting versus Randy Savage would have been cool here. Instead. We've got Dick Slater and bunkhouse buck and blacktop yeah, okay. bully.
1: All right. I I'm with you on that. I agree. Okay. I I'm, I'm with you on that.
0: So I am a pretty good booker. Fuck you very much. <laughs> yeah. So clash. Yeah, fair. you are. <laughs> clash of the champions uh, goes down on the 25th of that year. Uh, And it doesn't do a huge business, but it does go ahead and draw a sale out of 3,500 fans, 2,300 paid. They had higher ticket prices than normal. Check out what was a high ticket price in 95, 50, 40, 25, and 15. The gate top 60,000. So from a gate standpoint, it's the biggest clash ever. And a lot of people are going to be critical of the low attendance, but it is being done on a Wednesday afternoon at 430. Uh, because they're doing this in Las Vegas. So they've got to do this at kind of an odd time. Uh, the show does a 3.5 rating over 2 million people see it. And here's what they're tuning in to see Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage tag team to take on Kevin Sullivan and the butcher. The match goes about 11 minutes. Uh, the butcher got the sleeper and Hogan goes out. Savage drops the elbow off the top onto Hogan and Hogan pops up and makes a comeback. Uh, this has been dubbed by some, I guess the reviving elbow. What'd you think of this? Do you remember this angle? Did this make sense? Or is this the stupidest fucking thing you've ever seen for him to use a finisher and essentially just give life to the immortal Hulk Hogan?
1: Yeah, it was a stupid thing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I didn't buy that at all.
0: It gets half a star or a star and a half rather. And it feels like, um, Meltzer is kind of being critical of Savage in the newsletter. Surprise, surprise. He's kind of putting over that he's well-pressed as prime, and he's not where he can uh, put on decent matches like he could in the past. Let's fast forward.
1: You know why he's writing that?
0: Because Savage isn't calling him and giving him the scoop. That's exactly right. Remember this, and you heard it here, and it's the truth. Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's evident when you read some of his stuff. You know, we just recapped. Uh, This past Friday on Bruce's show, uh, a a match from 1998 with Terry Funk, where Meltzer could not put over that he was the best wrestler in there and he wasn't being treated fairly and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, a match from 98 with Hulk Hogan would be, oh, he's such an old guy. He needs to get out of the way, make room for the young guys. And Terry Funk is considerably older at that point than Hulk Hogan. It's so. just, it's a double standard based on who his friends are. But I get that because right. we do that here on this show. So,
1: yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. But uh, you and I do not portray ourselves as journalists. Well, yeah, as, it, it, as reporting shit. We're, we, 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 uh, I sound like, I sound like some of these slapdicks on Fox News, Fox News. We are, uh, we are entertainers. We are not journalists. So we do not report on things that come across as the word. So
0: I I think in order for you to be an entertainer, you would actually have to be, you know, entertaining. Fucking bully. Uh, February brings a super brawl here. We see Savage and sting beat avalanche and big Bubba Rogers. Uh, the finish comes with, uh, the avalanche trip, uh, over Bubba Rogers for the pin sting gets the W here. Mm. What's the reason for not letting Savage get the finish here? I mean, he's, he's in here. He's, it feels like he's been in a couple of featured spots, but he's always kind of the buddy, you know, he's the buddy to Hogan. Then he's the buddy to sting. He's never just getting a clean win. And by the way, they're taking on Kevin Sullivan, Avalanche, big Bubba Rogers. They're not taking over guys. uh, They're not going over guys who have been positioned very high on the card up to this point. Uh, do, do you have any insight as the thinking here? No, I don't have any insight as the thinking, but, but I mean,
1: at a plain armchair quarterback, like we always do, it was obviously the wrong thing to do. If you want to position the macho man, Randy Savage as the big star, you have the big star go
0: over. Right. Uh, absolutely. Let, yeah. let, let me give everybody some so, homework yeah. here. If you really want to see macho man do what he does best here, uh, go find the promo that's building this Sting and Macho Man match at Super Brawl. It happened right before the match. Uh, you can just YouTube or, or look it up in your Google machine. Quote, Macho Man is not talking. And you're going to see a phenomenal Macho Man promo. Some of, the, yeah. some of the best promos in the history of the business were from the Macho Man. Right, Tony? And,
1: yeah, they were. And And there could be, and there probably could be, there was the problem right there. The the booking committee and the bookers and pro wrestling in general, Eric being a part of this, thought that the Macho Man could live on his promos alone, and he would get over just based on his promos, and would not have to go over in the ring himself. One, two, three, and that pro and that drew him, that pulled him down. I think.
0: Do you think there's any, um, you know, I- anything to this claim? I would believe. That macho man was brought in to help boost some of the house show business that, that Hogan was just not going to work. And and here's where I get to this theory after super brawl, macho man is wrestling at TV tapings and house shows at all the small venues. He's basically headlining the shows that Hogan's just not going to come near. Usually he'd be tagging with sting against avalanche or, or Bubba. And they're going to venues that are like 1500, 3500 folks. And they're all over the place. Uh, Amarillo, Waco center stage, Gainesville, Florida, even Milwaukee. But I, m- part of my thinking is, Hey, Hogan has worked himself into this great contract where he does the big shows, but he doesn't have to do any of the smaller shots. We still need to sell tickets for those to be viable. Let's see if we can't get Macho man under contract. We know he'll do it and he could help us see an uptick in the house show business. Would that be part of the plan of bringing him in at this point? You think? That was part of
1: the plan, but also, uh, realize this part of Eric's plan eventually was to get rid of house shows, right? So they bring macho man, savage in, you're going to work house shows for us for a little while, but we're going to get rid of them. If you'll just help us out for right now, that was part of the intrigue of coming to WCW, you know, Eric wanted, and, and I think Eric was right. House shows were a thing of the past. We weren't focusing on any house show back in the old days before you were born. That was the focus of everything was no longer the focus of wrestling. Eric was right. And I don't, I I don't know how many house shows are done by the WWE now based on what used to be done. But I know house shows are good for many things. Uh, Number one, it's good to have house shows so your talent can continue to work and get better. Uh, Like, for instance, the more games you play, right, the more baseball games you play, normally the better you get at it. Uh, The more times you wrestle, the better you're going to be at it, and that's why house shows were valuable. But that was not the plan now. The plan was to get rid of house shows, but you're right to saying have the Macho Man headline house shows would help the house shows hopefully uh, get a bump.
0: So let's talk about, uh, the next big show it's uncensored it's March 19th. We're going to cover it in long form. Of course, uh, in the archives, we would see Randy Savage beat Avalanche by DQ. Ric Flair and drag interferes. And and this is kind of how they kick off their feud. Can you think of, uh, any other way to kick off a, a Ric Flair, macho man, Randy Savage feud than having the nature boy dress and drag?
1: (laughs) I can think of a million ways to do it other than that, but watched it. Watch the angle and you'll see when you agree that Flair Flair really did a good job with that. It was as if he was very excited about being in drag. I don't know if you can read anything into that or not. Uh, because as we all know, he's a fucking nut. Uh, but he was, he was way over the top in that. And, uh, I happen to like it, the angle. Right. But I could have thought of many more ways to do it than that.
0: Now, uh, flair and savage, of course, seemed like a natural fit for a feud. I've always thought that they had uh, pretty good matches and, and obviously awesome chemistry because they're both really, really strong promos. What did you think overall of of the flair savage feud and the way they work together?
1: Uh, I thought it was I thought it was good. I, I thought uh, the match they had at the Great American Bash was a very good match. Uh, and, and Flair went over in that match. Uh, again, going back and looking on it, we, we probably got Flair and Macho man uh, 10 years too late, right? I think we'd all agree with that. and then that please don't, don't mis, uh, misconstrue me talking bad about either one of these guys because I loved them both but in reality when you look on it now um it was a little it was a, it was too late in their careers
0: the next big pay-per-view is Slambury 95 and this is uh one of the shows where they have uh, five folks go into the Hall of Fame at Slambury and the the guys who were selected here were Dory Funk, Dusty Rhodes, Antonio Inoki, Wahoo McDaniel and Angelo Poffo and don't mean to be ugly, but it feels like Angelo going in is probably done as a favor to Randy Savage. Do you have any insight for that?
1: It's done. Yeah, it is done as a favor to Randy Savage. And, uh, I guess, uh, hall of fames and wrestling today are done the same way. Right?
0: Sure. Yeah. Melzer would write at the time, uh, talking about WCW slamboree. Nobody seems to be disputing the buy rate as a disappointment. It brings up the obvious questions as to why, particularly when it's pretty well proven with WCW, that it's the main event that is the biggest factor in drawing and on paper, from a marquee standpoint, this was an excellent main event. Vader is not a drawing card on his own, but has proven with both Flair and Hogan that under the right circumstances, he could be in a headline match that does big business. Randy Savage isn't a drawing card on his own anymore, either but is a celebrity and certainly shouldn't be a weak link in keeping people from buying a tag match on top. If the pay-per-view was the return of flair, who is the biggest star in company history and Hogan is the greatest drawing card in the United States of this era. So why do you think this didn't draw better? Is it because tag much tag matches just weren't drawing in 95 on top? Do you think that's it? Yeah, I think that's a
1: big part of it. Tag matches historically throughout the business, were never the featured event. You go back to the old school days. Listen, I don't want to keep pulling things back from old school, but you go back to the old school days. You would always have. Out of the uh, out of the uh, break or out of the intermission, you would always have a featured tag match and then two singles matches. Both would be for like a U.S. or a world title or something like that. Tag matches just historically did not draw as well as singles matches. And that had a lot to do with it, I think.
0: Overall, though, Brie not very well received. We'll cover it, I'm sure, in long form in the future. It gets 78.8% thumbs down. Mm. Uh, Savage is on the match uh, tagging with Hulk Hogan. They take on Flair and Vader. They go about 19 minutes. Uh, when Hogan leg drops Flair, that's the finish. But on the way, we see Anderson, Arn, of course, and Jimmy Hart at ringside. Angelo pafo is in the front row. Hogan's going to hit the leg drop on Flair for the pin. And then afterwards, all the heels beat up the faces. And they're working on Savage when Angelo hops the guardrail to break it up. Anderson holds Poffo in the full Nelson. And then Flair throws some punches and puts him in the figure four. As Bischoff screams, they're doing it to a 70-year-old man before Savage can make the save. Star and three quarters uh, is the rating from Dave Meltzer. How effective, in your opinion, Tony... Was bringing in Angelo Poffo to get heat like this. It is something that's a tried and true formula. Uh, and 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 how did you think that it, it was pulled off here by Angelo?
1: I, I thought the figure four and the fact that Arn was stomping on Angelo during the figure four, I thought it was tremendous heat. Right. Uh, and I, I thought it all was a it was a pretty good angle. I, I don't know why uh, why you would give the uh, that angle is that what he gave? What a one and a half stars or star star and three quarters, not a huge rating, but Uh, 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 was that for the match or for that angle itself for the match? Okay. Yeah. Throw the fucking match away. Right. But for the actual angle itself with Angelo coming over the top and them jumping on him and Bischoff screaming, he's a 70 year old man. I thought it worked very, very well, very well. And of course it was all part of bringing him in the hall of fame. Uh, the Slamboree Hall of Fame is—is is that located anywhere? Has anyone ever seen it?
0: <laughs> uh, I have actually. If you'd like to see it, you can check it out. It's prowrestlingtees.com dot com forward slash whw. Um, I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, it feels like this angle is done because they're trying to find a way to get Flair booed. You know, it feels like a lot of the WCW crowd are like the old school Southern wrestling fans who who are going to think that rick flair by 95 is godlike and he's just you know the man he's their guy and savage is still maybe the new york guy he's from he's from up yonder so to speak but if they can position it where flair's beating up a 70 year old father or probably grandfather at that point then then maybe you can get some of those boos and cheers going the direction you want them to be would that be fair to say that's fair to say you're right on with that buddy now, Absolutely. And let me say, too, that if Angelo Poffo was really concerned about home security and, and not getting locked into long-term contracts and and stuck writing huge checks, and he felt like there was just no way out, like it was just robbery itself to be stuck in one of those long-term contracts, he could just go protect his house with simply safe home security, and that would keep all the four horsemen at bay. Wouldn't you agree, Tony?
1: Yeah, it would. And that's what—that's one of the things that, that, that we think, uh, Conrad and I think, are uh, so important about Simply Safe. You want to keep your family safe. I understand that. We all do. You want to keep your, your, your home. You want to keep the Conradison safe uh, when you're not there or even when you're there at late at night. But I think just as important is to try to keep you safe from the predators who are out there who, who can rip you off every day. I mean, you you can go into your Google machine and and type in home security and who knows what you're going to get and who knows what type of contract you're going to be stuck with writing huge checks, no way out. That's robbery itself. And that's why simply safe has no contracts
0: and no commitment, no lock-ins period. It really is that simple. I did some research on these guys before I signed up personally. I found that the homie who invented it was from Harvard. He's a Harvard educated engineer that makes me feel a little safer. And this gimmick it's wireless, it's portable. It has a cellular connection built in, you know, back in the old school days, when my house was built, you actually had to have a traditional phone line. You don't need that here. It has a cellular connection built in. So you're good to go. And most importantly, you get professional monitoring. It's going to go straight to the police. Your house is safe and sound around the clock. It's 24 seven protection and it's only $15 a month. Now, a lot of places are going to charge two and three times that on a monthly basis, and that's when they lock you into a contract. There's no commitment here, and it's only $15. It's unbeatable protection. It's what I'm using for the Conradison. Tony's getting one. It's a great value. There's no contracts. And right now, they've got their biggest their biggest sale they've ever had. Tell them about it, Tony.
1: Yeah, right now, saving bigger than ever because it's the summertime, and a lot of times that's where break-ins occur. During the summertime, you can get $100 off the special safeguard package. Only thing you got to do is go to simplysafe.com slash listen to get the deal. Again, simplysafe.com forward slash listen, get the deal. That's $100 off the special safeguard package, simplysafe.com. Remember, the sale ends soon, simplysafe.com slash listen. Conrad, when we first moved to Atlanta in 1990 and I left the WWF, (laughs) why did I ever do that? I left the WWF. We got a security system for our house in 1990, and they had to poke holes in all the walls. And you know how much they charged us for monitoring a month? 90 bucks a
0: month. Wow.
1: Wow. And that was back then. How much you think these people are charging people now? It was simply safe. It's only 15 bucks a month. How about that?
0: So, hey, if you want to keep your shit and the slap dicks out, Simply safe is the way to go. It kind of feels like Vader is almost like an unintended casualty of the Macho Man's strong card position here, because Vader's in in the prime of his career here, and it feels like they could have been doing something a little more with him as a single. But I get that here you want to position them in a tag to try to build towards the singles, but it feels yeah. weird that again. Savage is in a tag match. You know, we're seeing that pretty consistently, and it almost feels like somebody somewhere doesn't feel like Savage can carry a match by himself, or there's some doubt as to whether or not he can still go at the level. Maybe he once could. Uh, this match goes nearly 19 minutes. You can guess what happens. Hogan beats Flair with a leg drop. I mean, that's just what happens. Um, star in three quarters is the finish there. Um, Could it be that
1: they don't feel that Savage can carry a match by himself or could the thing, and I'm just freestyling here. Okay. Sure. Or could it be that there is somebody that wants to have Savage with him because he's still a pretty darn good worker and he makes for a good match.
0: Uh, let's talk about what's next for the macho man here. Uh, he was scheduled to turn heel. Uh, around the spring of 96, and this is straight out of the wrestling observer newsletter, in your opinion, did they start to think about maybe turning savage heel because the, the reception from the fans of him as a baby face had been sort of soft, or was it just time to try to look, to do something different because there's rumors that it's going to happen by early May. Yeah. I, I
1: just wonder sometimes how much. WCW really And maybe I was wrong Maybe looked at At the reaction of fans To make their decisions I just think it was time to do it Not based on fan reaction When you say fan reaction Are you saying Are, are fans getting soft on an angle let me, let me be clear about what we're talking about here Are we talking about uh, Gate receipts being down Pay-per-view buys being down Reactions being down in the house all of the above, or, or what is the what is the number one indicator of that?
0: Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's got to be business, and, and, and how you measure your business can sometimes be different. A lot of people are using social media metrics in 2017. That doesn't always make sense to me in my worldview. No. You've got to look at dollars and cents. I've never actually been paid in Facebook likes, so I, I like to look at dollars and cents. And, and it feels like at this point, you've brought in one of the biggest stars in the history of the business six months in. Business hasn't really moved for you yet and, and you're consistently seeing it's kind of the same as before. And if it hasn't really moved, it makes you wonder, well, hey, did we mess up here? Can we do something different? Maybe it's not the talent, maybe it's what we've asked the talent to do. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes sense. But also I, I, I the the feeling in WCW at that time is that we're gonna continue to try to move big stars in, Hogan. Savage, And then, of course, Hall and Nash will come in down the road, and that will make us an established big-time company. So, yeah, you could look at this and say that maybe the fans were soft on Savage. Maybe we didn't get the pop that we wanted. But now having him in our stable, a guy who could talk and a guy who could work, and a guy who had big-time exposure in the WWE was just kind of a part of the puzzle to making WCW bigger.
0: In May of 95, uh, Steve Austin reaches the height of his frustration in WCW and gets a meeting with Eric Bischoff to try to work things out. Uh, Ric Flair is the booker, and, and Austin feels like he has been forced to do a job for the Renegade at TV tapings at Center Stage on the 10th of May. And then the very next day, he lost in two minutes to Randy Savage in the U.S. title tournament. And Austin has been on record you know, for years saying that Hogan cronyism was like the main reason he felt like he needed to leave WCW, that there was going to be some sort of glass ceiling that if you weren't inside of that bubble of Hogan's buddies, that you were never really going to get the push you deserved. Do you feel like that's a fair assessment by Stone Cold in hindsight, seeing him lose in two minutes to Macho Man and having to lay down for the fucking renegade at center stage? Uh, losing the Macho Man in two minutes to me, the old theory was
1: something we've talked about on, on, uh, past podcasts. Losing to the Macho Man, Randy Savage, or anybody in two minutes, I never thought hurt anybody. Right. Losing to the Renegade is another story. But Steve Austin was right. There was cronyism going on. Uh, I was told when I went to the WWE or WWF in 1989, they said, you know, there's a lot of politics going on. You've got to be on the right side of people back then. And, of course, that was, in, that was back during Hulkamania days. Not that I'm blaming Hulk for everything. But as we now move forward, and I move to WCW, the politics starting again. And, and I believe that there were a lot of wrestlers who felt, Austin being one, that unless they were friends of Hogan, unless they were in that clique, if I can use that term, of Hogan, now savage, Brutus the Barber, fucking Barber Beefcake, as you like to say. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> the, uh, uh, and I guess the, uh, the avalanche slash shark. All of that, unless you're Hacksaw Jim Duggan, unless you're in that, you're not going to get the push you think you should get.
0: All right, so next up, it's time to start promoting. We've got Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. They're at the Mall of America in Minneapolis, uh, and they're doing this on June 17th uh, for the opening of the Hogan Pasta Mania restaurant. (laughs) Can't
1: let that go, can you?
0: (laughs) It feels like a, a really good time to plug that we have a shirt that says pasta still rules. It's available at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. And I strongly recommend that you go listen to our very first episode about Monday Night Nitro. It's the first Nitro. And uh, we have uh, an interesting conspiracy theory uh, about pasta mania there. Um, Well, we finally get to a singles match. You know, we've been mired in tag matches for a long time here with Randy Savage. Great American Bash comes around. It gets 42% thumbs up in The Observer. Uh, 39% thumbs in the middle, and only 17% thumbs down. So it's the first turn for pay-per-views of this year. Uh, Meltzer would write, Flair pinned Savage in 14 minutes and 42 seconds. Quote, anyone who says Flair is washed up as a worker can eat it as a draw. That may be another story. It's been years since Savage has been put out like this. Basically, this is everything you could have expected in a match between these two and their primes. Fast and Furious with them brawling inside and outside the ring. Angelo Poffo was at ringside with a cane, selling the injury from the last pay-per-view. And the guys were really pulling out all the stops. Uh, Meltzer goes on to break down uh, the match in great detail. He loved it. He gives it four stars. Um, And and here's what he says towards the end. Uh, Flair got the cane, but Savage attacked him from behind. Uh, However, when Flair gets the cane in the ring and clobbers Savage with it for the pin... And that's how we get out of here. Um, ultimately though, we do see Poffo without a cane walking perfectly and he's helping Savage to the back, which is kind of fun. Uh, they do an angle off television as they were filming Hogan and Jimmy Hart leaving the building either just before or during the match, uh, which was a subtle way that Meltzer says is step one of the Savage turn, a four-star match here in 1995 uh Great American Bash 95 go check it out if you haven't already uh Flair Savage. What did you think of this match?
1: I watched it today again. It was uh, every bit of a four-star match. And this match goes back to telling great stories. Two right. guys who can tell a story in the ring, like Savage and Flair, two guys who can sell, two guys who can work. Even today this this type of match and these type of performers will stand the test of time. These are the, the two guys that would make you a wrestling fan would, it's the hook. You just love what they do. And they knew how to tell a story. Flair called the match as he always did. Savage knew what he was doing. And it was a, it was a tremendous match. Flair wins, right? Penzi Savage is not hurt by it.
0: I don't think, well, I, I loved it. It's, it's funny that you say that because we're going to talk about that. But first I want to mention that coming off of that show, uh, Flair and Savage are working on top uh, at all the house shows, but they're only doing like twenty and twenty-six thousand dollar houses. Uh, the, this is through South Carolina too, which is historically a really strong market for Flair. But when he's taking on Savage, for whatever reason, it's just not much of a draw. Um, okay, look, look, look.
1: Why was it? Why was Flair a draw
0: back then, and he's not a house show draw now? Well, because you guys have fucking buried him with Hulk Hogan 19 times.
1: No, no okay. That, yeah, you can say that. But there's another reason, too. And I know I'm right about this. We're giving away shit on TV. There you go. you, you beat that no, drum for a no long reason, time. There's no reason to go out and pay whatever the price was for a ringside ticket in Columbia, South Carolina, when you could just sit home and watch WCW Monday Nitro or Saturday night and get great matches and get your fix there. No reason to. So I, I'm not necessarily blaming Barry and Flair for all these uh, low counts on the house shows. I'm blaming how the product, how the storylines, how the business had evolved.
0: It's reported the next week in the Wrestling Observer newsletter that Flair's still with the company, of course, but he's off the booking committee quote that was a lot of the reason but don't rule out other factors including randy savage still being upset at the finish at the great american bash not necessarily that he lost by pinfall but that the loss was done without outside interference which was the original plan did you hear about this it feels like a lot of folks at the time were kind of upset with flair's booking whether it was steve austin or now here randy savage um, do you, do you remember Flair kind of being replaced and put off the booking committee? What was the talk yeah. in the office when that happens? Well,
1: the, I, the talk in the office, when that happens, we all know how Rick is, uh, Rick has a very short attention span when it comes to being in the office and details. And I remember, uh, him being in charge of the booking committee and, uh, not being able to spend enough time with the booking committee. I think Rick Flair leaving the booking committee was by his own, uh, own decision. I don't think he had time for it. I don't think he wanted to do it. And I think that's why he left. I'm not going to, I think that was the main reason. I know that was the main reason I was in there. Listen, we would be in booking committees and Flair would uh, start the meeting. And of course I was in there just as kind of a liaison with, uh, with production, just listening to all this shit they tossed around and 10 minutes into it, Flair would say, I need to step out for a second. And he would step out and he wouldn't come back for another like 20, 30 minutes. Or he would say, he would look at somebody and say, I need to talk to you outside of the door. And I was, I I remember, uh, calling it a kayfabe sidebar, right? Because I'm thinking, why the fuck would, I mean, here we are all talking. Why would you kayfabe us all and talk to someone outside? So Flair's attention span as a booker did not last long. And he realized he didn't want to do it. It just took up too much of his time. Flair is not an office person. You know that. Sure. And so uh, that's why Flair left. I don't think it had anything to do with uh, politics or had anything to do with finishes or it just Flair didn't want to do it anymore. It's my feeling. And I love Ric Flair. He wasn't good at it. He was good at coming up with ideas, but he wasn't good about being in charge of it because if you're the booker – in charge of it, you got to do a lot more than just come up with ideas, all
0: the details,
1: yeah. all the details, and you got to delegate those details to people that you trust and make sure things get done. That was not Ric Flair.
0: Uh, let's go to bash at the beach. This goes down on July 16th. Of course, savage pins flare with an elbow drop off the top. I can't wait till we talk about this show in great detail. It was actually outside on the beach. Yeah. Uh, they go about fourteen minutes. It's a lumberjack match. Uh Flair talked about Elizabeth during his interview, but at this point uh she was not supposed to be coming in. He's just talking about her. Um the finish happens when Arn Anderson tries to interfere, but he gets decked. Savage then backdrops Flair over the top rope and all the lumberjacks caught him, so he gets to break the fall. Uh but there's no DQ here, which was once upon a time a thing, which we discussed on our Beach Blast ninety three episode. With the ref distracted, Arn gives Savage a DDT, and Flair goes for the pin, but Macho Man manages to kick out. Then he makes the big comeback and caps it off with the elbow off the top. Uh, Meltzer wrote, "Quote: This was nowhere near as good as their previous match, but compared with the rest of the show, it was two and three quarter stars. Um, this is the best match on the card, I think, at Bash yeah, at the by Beach." Far. Uh, what, what'd you think of this match overall? Probably not as good as their great American bash match, but you got lots of gimmicks and other stuff going on with this one too.
1: And, and that's why, uh, gimmicks to me, uh, a lot of times interfered with, with a great match. Uh, it obviously wasn't as good as their match of the great American bash, but, uh, again, it was a good match on the show. You know, the, uh, and, and we'll talk about, I know we'll talk about the show in detail down the road, but, uh, that show had a great look to it.
0: Oh, absolutely. It did.
1: Yeah, it had a great look to it, and you had two good performers. And Melter is right; it uh, compared to the rest of the show uh, was pretty good at two and a half, two and a quarter stars. What is the difference between a quarter star and, or let's say, three quarter stars and a star? How would you differentiate that? Well, it's a quarter star. That's okay, I know, I know what it is in reality, <laughs> but what makes me <laughs> fucking bully? What? <laughs> What makes it that way? I, I just, I, I don't know.
0: I I understand. To me, me it's the, it's
1: the, I I
0: don't know. If it takes place in Japan, it gets an extra star. Uh, if, if is involved, it gets an extra half star. If Hogan's involved, subtract a star. It's like a drinking game, I guess. Yeah,
1: I guess so. Or, you know, maybe Meltzer sitting in front of the TV and if he got a Woody, he'll give it a quarter of a star. If he jacked off to it, he'll give you three quarter stars. If you happened to have something at the end of the jacking off, he would give it a star. Okay. So what? what's next?
0: Uh, we're talking about Randy Savage. He's saying that at the clash, he and sting are going to be watching Hogan's back against the dungeon of doom. And he says he's going to be ringside doing color commentary during Hogan Kamala for the August 6th clash. Uh, at this point, we've got Savage watching Hogan's back instead of having his own thing going on. And I guess we're kind of putting a pause on the Ric Flair feud. Uh, that clash in particular did a 3.5 rating Hogan on top, which is the main event only does a 2.1. They only go about four and a half minutes. Hogan wins by DQ. Uh, and this happens of course, because Kevin Sullivan interferes, uh, Hogan did kick out of the big splash and make the Superman come back doing the whole boot to the face and the leg drop. But that's when Sullivan comes off the top rope. Uh, Of course, the Butcher's there. I guess he's Zodiac by this point. Shark is there. And there's a big DQ schmize until Sting and Randy Savage make the save. This is not WCW's best work here. What did you think of this whole Dungeon of Doom versus Mega Maniacs feud that they were building towards here?
1: I thought it was a pretty good effort, but uh, it did not work. Look, the reason Hogan and uh, Kamala drew the 2.1 rating was everyone knew that, well, they had no interest in it. No right. one knew what was going to happen. Sure. It was almost like a squash match. That's not uh, disparaging Kamala at all, but uh, there was no intrigue in that, and they tried to make some intrigue by using the uh, the Dungeon of Doom, and in reality, this Dungeon of Doom thing, as it was going on, I was thinking, you know, it's not so bad, but now in hindsight... It's
0: not very fucking good, either. No, not very good. Uh they do a a series of tapings on August 21st at center stage. And here we would see sting and Randy Savage take on the blue bloods, which is kind of fun. When you consider who the blue bloods were sting is dressed up like savage and savage is wearing face paint here. They tagged a lot in 95. How would you categorize sting and, and savages behind the scenes relationship?
1: Good. Very good. Sting, uh, sting made a pretty good effort to get along with everybody. Sting was a pretty, pretty cool guy. Well, it, it is a pretty cool guy. Yeah, always was that way.
0: Um, n- next up, well, are you, are you you asked
1: that question like you've heard something.
0: No, I just know that you know we don't hear a lot about Sting. We know that Sting was friendly with the Steiners. We know that Sting was friendly with Lex Luger. Uh, right. We know that Sting had a great deal of respect for uh, Rick Flair. We know that he fell out of favor at least for a little while with Eric Bischoff over the whole Starrcade situation. There's rumor and innuendo that he didn't show up in shape. We'll cover that another time, mm, but we don't okay. really hear a lot about him and it kind of feels like he's more standoffish. We've also heard that Macho Man was super, super paranoid. So I just mm. wondered, you know, with Macho Man coming in here, Sting's kind of been the, the, the lead baby face for well over a decade at that point, or I guess not well over a decade, but almost a decade at that point. He'd been the, kind of the guy. I wondered what their relationship would have been like, what, what Savage have yeah. been warm with him or whatever.
1: Yeah. He, the Savage warmed up to him because, and, and because sting was the reason you don't hear much about sting as far as backstage politics goes, that sting didn't really get involved in those sting was really a laid back, cool guy and savage warmed up to him because savage trusted him. You know, there's, there's a, there's been, as you know, in the backstage area of wrestling throughout years especially during the run of WCW and even the WWE tons of politics and tons of backstabbing and tons of not trusting this guy or that guy thinking that you're going to try to fuck me and I'm not going to be or fuck me over and I'm not going to be able to, uh, to make enough money. But sting was never like that. And sting had a, you could, you seemed like you could trust sting and savage warmed up to him. So I I think it was a very good combination together. And that—that's that, from my point of view. I didn't run with them, so I don't know.
0: Let's talk about this. This tease because these TV tapings at Center Stage Savage is still doing what many would believe to be heel interviews. Now they don't really ultimately go anywhere, but we'll talk about why in a minute. Um, and I guess well, the why is Lex Luger. Lex Luger all of a sudden was on the was on the auction block, and WCW had an opportunity to pull him over. And this kind of muddies the water for maybe, in my opinion, what the plans were for Macho Man. The story being, Lex was Sting's friend, and all casual viewers know that. I just kind of listed it. Uh, and and he had been positioned as such for a long time. So now he, he can kind of threaten Hulkamania because Hogan doesn't trust him because he's an outsider. Uh, and he was a heel when they were in WWF together. Uh, Savage doesn't really trust him. And this kind of muddies the water, where Sting is like, no, he's a good guy. Macho and Hogan wonder, is he really with them? Is he a good guy? And it feels, I don't know, a little different. Uh, The second edition of Nitro goes down on September eleventh, nineteen 1995. And Savage is used to display the new acquisition from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Scott Norton. And Scott loses to Savage. Is this a Mm -hmm. good way to bring uh, Norton in? You know, we talked about his... His on-camera appearance on the very first episode of Monday Night Show, which is available in the archives, but it feels like if you're trying to put over this guy as a big star and you want to highlight him, you wouldn't necessarily have him losing his first match, would you? You would not. It was not well done.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, we can uh, go back and, as we're doing right now, and be the armchair quarterback for this bullshit, uh, but. You can go back then and say, that doesn't, that wasn't right. That was not done right. So
0: the follow-up nitros, you know, the, the, the subsequent nitros, we've got Kevin Sullivan beating macho man by DQ Lex Luger beats macho man by submission, uh, just lots of stuff going on here with the macho man, where it feels like maybe he's going to be a heel. Okay. Luger's here. So now maybe that changes. He's not a heel. Uh, and and he's losing, uh, here on television. Um, October 2nd is where we get to the latest edition of the wrestling observer newsletter and Dave would write negotiations to bring in Randy Savage in November seem to have stalled since Savage asked for a $30,000 per match and isn't worth anywhere close to that box office in Japan. Don't expect Hogan back with new Japan either. There was tremendous heat over his not doing the Korea show. We haven't talked about that collision in Korea show from August to 95 much. Uh, I'm sure we'll cover it another time, but Hogan didn't appear. And this was the beginning of, of Savage starting to say no to WCW release. It feels like to me, what kind of pressure was there on the boys to take that tour to Korea? There's a lot of pressure.
1: Uh, that was a big deal for us to take that tour. And because there was, uh, because it was a big deal for the company, uh, that's why guys like Savage would kind of pulled away from it.
0: Well, it's, um, it's something I want to talk about in long form because there's so many other little overlaying factors that we could dig into. Uh, Savage starts to get his first bit of mainstream publicity since he's been with WCW when he's on the comedy central channel show, uh, politically incorrect on October 24th. And it doesn't feel like at the time beyond maybe uh, an occasional family feud that wcw had much crossover like this compared to the wwf would that be fair to say yeah that's true why do you think it's, that is be- i mean you guys are in the fucking tv business why is this complicated
1: uh, well it's complicated in that you've got to you've got to have a staff of people to work on that a staff of marketing people to work on that i'm not so sure that was that we were staffed nor i'm not so sure that that was the concern of eric back then he just wanted to put a good product on tv and felt by having names like hulk hogan and the macho man randy savage that would take care of itself when in reality if you want to get yourself over other than in the wrestling ring you got to put some work into it to go out we know this right right right. we know this from doing podcasts we went out to Dallas and we did, uh, we did a live event, and we worked pretty hard behind the scenes to try to sell tickets. Sure. So we, so we, you got to, got to work at it, and WCW did not work at it back then. WCW thought we have Hogan, we have Savage, and that is mainstream, man. That is mainstream. But in reality, even with Hogan even with Savage, you needed to work at it, and I, I, we didn't work at it enough.
0: Uh, Halloween Havoc 1995 is where we are. Uh, there's an undercard match here with Craig Pittman and Michael Wall Street. Uh, they go mm-hmm. about three and a half minutes. Uh, ultimately, the winner is supposed to face Randy Savage on Nitro the next night. You want to guess whether or not that actually happened? <laughs> this is amazing to me that they say the winner is yep. going to face Macho Man tomorrow night on Nitro. No, he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Guerrero wrestled the winner, and and it was uh, Pittman. I can't believe Pittman is getting wins on pay-per-views, but he is.
1: Okay, so there you go. Pittman's getting wins on pay-per-views, and we're selling shit that doesn't happen, right?
0: Yes. Okay. And and we're not done because Randy Savage was supposed to take on Kamala on this pay-per-view, but Kamala decided to quit the promotion rather than do a job here. So Macho Man gets the win in a minute and a half over Zodiac. The former butcher who main evented the biggest pay-per-view of the year, uh, what 10 months prior now loses in a minute and a half from an elbow drop off the top, the only uh, thing of note of this match is a fan hops the rail and Randy Anderson tries to hold him back. Uh, Savage to his credit, took the match away from the real action. So the cameras didn't have to see the fight going on inside. And Savage is kind of working hurt here. The rumor is he's got a detached tricep, which is pretty serious. Uh, What do you remember about this fan jumping in the ring, about Kamala quitting rather than doing the job, a a minute-and-a-half match, um, Savage's injury? There's just a lot going on in this match.
1: Yeah, I remember a lot about Savage's injury, and I always knew that Randy wrestled hurt, Uh, and he did that a lot. I mean, gee whiz, those big elbows off the top, uh, took a lot out of him as well as it did the opponents because those things looked stiff and, and many of them were, uh, I remember when, when a fan got involved in the ring, my first thought was, and my thought was here was, I hope we beat the fuck out of that motherfucker. Sure. Uh, and stomp his fucking ass in the ground to show everybody, you know, that, Oh, I can do it. I can jump in the ring. I'm cool. It's a work anyway, and they're not going to hurt me, you know, beat the fuck out of him. Uh, So I always thought about that. Uh, You know, Kamala not wanting to do the job and quitting. And it's just, I'm telling you right here, and this is pre NWO right here. We are doing things to fuck the promotion, right? Already. We are doing things to fuck the promotion, no shows, not giving fans what you promote. Uh, and, putting a guy like craig Pittman over we're doing things to to fuck the promotion already so the water of wcw that we all drank in 2001 and all died from it like uh like jim jones or whatever (laughs) okay was being poisoned even back when during this time it really was it absolutely really was it was Thank you for dragging my ass down, buddy.
0: Well, we're going to talk about the main event of Halloween Havoc 95 another time. It's going to be something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, let's get to the next night, the night after, um, Halloween Havoc. We can go ahead and talk about Hogan powering out of stings, scorpion, Deathlock and making a Superman comeback. I'm not exactly sure what's going on here in WCW, but, uh, Hogan is damn sure getting his way every way you look here. Uh, And that's what's going on. Ultimately, the giant is about to choke slam both Hogan and sting simultaneously until Randy Savage makes the save. Uh, he was ringside with his arm in a sling and the arm injury was played up much stronger on TV during this than it had been the prior week. And, uh, of course the news behind the scenes is that Savage has a tricep tear. Do you remember this injury being something that was kind of derailing plans at the time or was Savage a trooper?
1: Well, he was a trooper, but there was just so much he could do, but it was derailing plans at the time.
0: Let's get to world war three. Uh, this one goes down, of course, in November of 95, uh, this gets an overwhelming thumbs up 69.3% in the wrestling observer newsletter. Uh, the best match poll is, uh, the Japanese performers, uh, (laughs) Hukato and Nakano taking on Suzuki and Ozaki, your favorite uh, spot from that match, Tony. My favorite spot from that match is, uh, me having to take a shit about three minutes in the worst match on the card, uh, was Jim Duggan and big Bubba Rogers. Uh, mm-hmm. Randy Savage actually captures the WCW title here out of nowhere. Uh, this is kind of the weirdest booking ever to me. You've got a guy with a tricep tear. Um, he, he hasn't been in necessarily featured spots. He just beat the butcher in a minute and a half at the prior pay-per-view. Mostly tag matches prior to that, but a couple of matches with Flair, and seemingly, here he is. Uh, but let's talk about what happens, because he wins the title here at World War III on pay-per-view in Norfolk, Virginia. And the very next day, they're doing Monday Night Nitro in Salem, Virginia, and he's left for dead. Is is this... Uh, this is not old school booking here at all. Who's in charge here of the booking committee? If Flair is, is out of power, is this Bischoff and who at this point making these decisions?
1: Uh, Bischoff, uh, Hogan and Kevin Sullivan. Interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? Uh, you know, I thought, uh, I, I thought, uh, the, uh, the end of the World War Three or World War II or whatever it was match where he won the Battle Royal and Hogan goes underneath the uh, rope sure. and com- and complains that he went underneath the rope and Randy Anderson said, I didn't see it. I thought you went over the top. I thought it made Hogan look bad. I, I, I thought it made Hogan look like a crybaby. He, he did. And I, yeah, and, and I think that may have come into uh, the decision of what happened the very next night.
0: Uh, so were you surprised when you see this plan, you know, Savage wins the 60 man battle Royal, uh, it's the best, uh, pay-per-view show of the year based on the reaction. Um, you know, the, the thumbs up are, are overwhelmingly positive If for a couple of shows, uh, this year, and this is one of them and Savage out of nowhere is the champ. Is this a head scratcher for you based on the way he'd been positioned so far in 95, or was he still. The big star. So it's fair game.
1: Yeah. It's big, he, big star. He's fair game. Why was this considered a great pay-per-view?
0: You know, I'm not sure. I just know that. I, know, well, I know why. Oh, all the Japanese wrestlers. Yes, of course.
1: Well, there you go. I knew you were. Gonna that's the that. reason. Uh, that's the reason. Uh, Chris Benoit's on the card against Sasaki. Right. And then you got a Japanese tag team match. Uh, So there, uh, yeah, that's why it was considered a great
0: card. Don't read anything more into this. Let's talk about um, this show itself because the show opens with one of the weirdest interviews in wrestling history. You see Hulk Hogan, Sting, and Randy Savage come out, and this is kind of one of the more iconic moments in in dirt sheet history, I guess. Uh, (laughs) Hulk Hogan dumps his black wrestling attire in a burning trash can. And they kinda of lose sight of the fire and you see the guys kinda of off screen trying to get it under control. But then Hogan goes off about the dirt sheets and he's saying that they're rag sheets and uh he's talking about the observer. He's got it in his hand. Mm. And, and and he's saying that the giant wasn't going to win the battle royal and that Savage wasn't really hurt but he didn't have this arm injury and that he's fine. Uh, and then he throws the rag sheet in the same burning trash can and says something mm. like, observe this Wow. and that this is a dinosaur and the internet is the real story now, brother. Yeah. Uh, how, how does this get approved? How is Hogan able to do this? It feels like this is the epitome of going into business for yourself. Is it not?
1: Well, it is, but I believe that Eric felt the same way. Eric and I often talked about the dirt sheet, and the, Eric said the dirt sheet is a dinosaur. I remember those terms. It's really the internet that's leading the way now. right? So that that may have been Hogan going into business for himself, but I think that that was a lot of Eric doing as well. Well, how does this help
0: the on-screen product for them to – None. It doesn't. It doesn't help the on-screen. It only helps the observer. It really does. I'm glad you said yeah. it like that. It, yeah. Did you and the boys love this? I mean, was there a pop in the back or were some people like, no. why is he doing this?
1: No, I, 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 I was thinking, why is he doing this? Because uh, again, you know, to me, and I know, I know the business has changed here in 2017 as we move forward with the internet, what we're talking about, how we are talking about the behind scenes business. But to me back then, and even before back then dirt sheets and dirt sheet writers and guys like Dave Meltzer to me were there for one reason only and that was to expose the business and they can all, all argue that oh no that's not the case we are uh, only have a a minor click of fans that follow us so overall we are not exposing the business and I call bullshit on that they're exposing the business Here's why, here's what I always thought about dirt sheets And uh, again, I've, I've, listen, I, I've talked to Dave Meltzer. He's a good guy. He, he really has put a lot of time and effort into the business on a certain angle. And and I know there's other guys out there who I've liked. Uh, Wade Keller was one guy that I've talked for. Uh, there was one guy named Steve Beverly who was uh, nothing but a piece of shit. Uh, but I always thought the guys who wrote dirt sheets were guys who started liking the business when they were younger and then they realized it was a work and they were pissed off at the business and they were going to destroy the business and they were going to expose the business. Then there were guys like me who loved the business, realized it was a work and went, that's pretty cool. That is cool. I'll respect the business. I'll love the business. I'll work to make the business better and try instead of trying to expose it. I'm glad I got that off my chest. Uh, So I I thought that by talking about the dirt sheets, talking about the Observer, was the wrong thing to do at that time. That's just me. Sure. Uh, To be honest with you, I don't even know, with the exception of you reading me the stuff from back in the old Observer, uh, I have no idea what they do now. Don't read it. I don't know if they've got a website. I don't follow them at all. On social media so I have no idea how they exist or if how strong they are in the business uh, to this day they were very strong back then because it was an industry newsletter that a lot of the guys felt that what they said had a great impact on our business and I I don't think so I think it was a, a, a few uh, a good example is they always like the Japanese stuff right sure so if, so if you're going to have a Japanese tag match, if you're going to have Sasaki against Benoit, you're going to have uh, a lot of thumbs up. You are. And your your main event match can suck. Am I going off on too much of a freestyling tangent here?
0: I'm just letting you go. I figure it's just better just to let you finish.
1: <laughs> That's kind of like from Christmas vacation, right? Absolutely. Once, once it gets started, best of all, you just let him finish.
0: Yeah. So on this same show, we've got Lex Luger beating Randy Savage in five and a half minutes with a step over arm lock. Uh, they're trying to, uh, get across that the, this is a submission finish and that the referee stopped the match, but Savage never actually submitted to the move because you know, the top baby faces don't submit. Um, it gets a star and a quarter. and and this is kind of some interesting booking and it's interesting because savage comes back later and in nearly 30 minutes wins the battle Royal, uh, after 60 guys are eliminated. Um, Hogan is, is not well received by the crowd after he does the whole little slide under the thing. And he's complaining, as you mentioned earlier, there's a big section of the crowd, even chanting Hogan sucks at him so loud that they had to turn the crowd noise down just a little bit. um, people are not a fan of Hogan and, and they're happy to see anybody, but Hogan as the champ here. at least that's the way it comes off when you go back and watch, but it feels kind of weird because they're debating this and they've got both Hogan and Savage in the ring, uh, as the show goes off the air. So even though this is supposed to be Savage's big crowning moment, Hogan's still there. Does yeah. this feel a little bit like Hogan stealing his thunder? Do you think that Savage felt that way?
1: Yeah, I think he did. I, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I, I It felt that way to me. And, of course, this was done in Norfolk, Virginia, right? Yep. Okay. And so that is old school NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions Territory. So if you want people to shit on Hogan, you've picked the right venue.
0: Well, let's go ahead and finish up 1995. Let's talk about December 27th. Uh, we're doing uh, Starcade in Nashville here. Uh, and Savage is all over this card. Um, the, you guys were doing a concept here where it's like the world cup of wrestling, new Japan pro wrestling is involved here as well. Uh, w- w- what are your memories of this world cup of wrestling that you guys tried at the starcade in 95? Uh, I, I have no memory of it at all. You just blocked it out as a painful. Memory. I, I just blocked it. Out. I blocked it out as
1: <sighs> we're trying to appease the dirt
0: sheets. Well, that's what we do. Um, it's worth mentioning that Savage wrestled a couple of times here. Uh, he would defeat tens on after about seven minutes. Uh, and then he would ultimately wind up losing, uh, to Ric Flair and Ric Flair becomes the world heavyweight champion in the main event. So he wins the belt in November. He loses it in December. What did you think of Randy Savage's first year uh, in WCW, it, it comes off kind of weird to me where you see him come in with a lot of controversy. He debuts as to whether or not he's Hulk Hogan's friend or foe. Uh, and it takes him 11 months to finally get to a spot where he wins the world title, but he loses it a month later on yeah. pay-per-view in a kind of forgettable Starcade. And it doesn't seem like Randy Savage was handled the very best that he could have been, uh, for him or the company in 95. What say you? Yep.
1: I agree with all of that. There was a major star. He came in. uh, He followed Hulk Hogan in and and some other guys, and we thought it would be uh, good. The injury took its toll on him that year, uh, and he probably was not done right. He became the world heavyweight champion, but once he becomes a world heavyweight champion, you get into this thing to where, as you said, uh, Hulk Hogan kind of stole the thunder there. So as much as the macho man Randy Savage meant to us, he still was in Hulk Hogan's shadow at that time. Uh, and I think uh, the promotion paid for it. But the good news is he was a great talker, tremendous worker, as was exam- was a perfect example with he and Ric Flair working at uh, the Great American Bash. He could turn it on, give us a great match. I, I do want to add a side note here. When uh, I said that the New Japan Pro Wrestling stuff was just for the dirt sheet writers. That is not accurate. That's me trying to be funny and sure. trying to be irreverent. They also were trying to build a relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling, a business relationship with it, and, and that's why. Uh, that's why that happened at the Starcade that year.
0: Let's address uh, some of the rumors and innuendo. We asked you guys to participate in our conversation with us about Randy Savage in '95, and we took to Twitter. And you can follow us on Twitter to vote in our poll and ask questions to kind of participate in the conversation here on the show. All you've got to do is throw us a follow at WHW Monday on Twitter. That's at WHW Monday. WCW worldwide says Kevin Sullivan once said that Randy Savage winning world war three was done as a favor from Hulk as Hogan was trying to squash the heat from Randy. He quote unquote gifted big gold to him. Do you believe that to be true, that Hogan was supposed to be the featured guy here, but the heat was out of control personally with he and Macho Man? So he requests, uh, and Sullivan is the person who's kind of sourcing this, mm-hmm. that that Savage get an opportunity to be world champion here, even if only for a month.
1: When, uh, because Kevin Sullivan uh, was part of the booking committee back then, and a big part of it, I would agree that would be right. Kevin has said some things on his uh, his podcast that I don't necessarily agree with that I know are wrong, uh, but that is correct.
0: Um, how would you compare, this comes just from Kevin, how would you compare your time in working with Savage in the WWF versus WCW 95? I think what he means is, was Savage pretty much the same guy?
1: Yes, he was. To me, he was. You know, Savage, uh, Savage got involved, and I think this was later down the road, Savage got involved with with booking some things when it came to his matches, and he came to the office uh, many times. Uh, and you know, there when and I talked about this with Rick Flair. When you have wrestlers involved in booking their own angles, or involved in a big roundtable discussion of uh, of wrestling angles, you are not always going to get the attention of these wrestlers that you need, right? There was a situation one time, and and this is one of my favorite memories of Randy Savage and me. And I'm thinking this is probably 96. It could be 95. Uh, we were all in the office and Savage was there and Hogan was there. Kevin Sullivan was there. Uh, I'm not so sure Jimmy Hart was there or not, but I was brought in because, uh, you know, I was kind of working between the booking committee and production and they had a question about a a certain angle that they wanted to do, and they had to uh, have Bischoff tell them something or they had to have Bischoff answer a question of theirs. and they were all and I'm, they, they were all these big guys like hogan and and Sullivan and all these guys and the macho man Randy Savage in this room, and they all were like, well, he's got his office door closed." Uh, We can't go in there. And I remember going back to my office, come back and I said, guys, have you made a decision yet? And I remember Savage saying to me, Bischoff's still in his office. He's been in there for an hour and we're kind of waiting on him. I said, hang on a second. I went on, pounded on Eric's door and Eric said, what? And I, somebody was in there and opened the door. I said, I hate to interrupt you, but these guys have been waiting an hour for you to make a decision. Would you go in there and talk to them? And Bischoff walks in, they get it done just like that. And Savage looked to me, he says, I like you. I like you. You get shit done. And I'm thinking, you guys are big motherfuckers. (laughs) You know, you can go in and get shit done without a little fat boy like me getting shit done. So Randy and I always had a pretty good relationship after, uh, uh, as far as office is concerned, after that little episode we had behind the scenes. Uh, But always like Randy Savage, the Randy Savage from the WWE all the way through the Randy Savage of
0: WCW. Let's get to a couple more questions on Twitter. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Uh, and I like, I've like i always liked his brother, Lanny, too, as an interesting character.
0: Well, let's talk about it. You ever see Lanny do the gimmick? No, I have not. Silas wants to know, is it true that Lanny Poffo was paid for four years without ever working?
1: No. Okay. You mean in the WWF or?
0: No. Else? There was rumored innuendo that Randy negotiated Lanny to have an, uh, a contract with WCW and he was paid something like hundred thousand dollars a year, but never actually left the house. I don't believe that. Okay.
1: I wish you would have asked me that earlier because I was with Randy, you know, recent, or with Lanny recently at a independent show in Staten Island. I would have
0: asked him that. I was going to say I don't think you were with Randy recently. Uh, Twenty years of Nitro. Uh, Flair said harsh things about Savage and Liz during his promos of that era. Was well, Savage fine with all of this? How was their relationship? Yeah, he was fine with all of, of it. The relationship was fine. Yeah, Flair gets a heads up on stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Michael wants to know, uh, did you and Macho Man ever snap into some Slim Jims backstage together? And if so, how savage was it?
1: I, I snapped into some Slim Jims before, but not with Randy. Did you snap Tom Zink, Ray Mysterio? Uh, yeah, we would have a circle snap.
0: Oh, gosh. Let's move along here. Uh, Joseph wants to know, uh, not a question, just real proud of Randy Savage for proving Vince McMahon wrong and having four strong years in WCW. D- did you ever have a conversation with Randy about him not being happy with, uh, you know, kind of being forced out of the ring by the WWF? No, I did not. Okay. Never uh, had a, never a conversation about that. Joseph wants to know, um, What was the relationship like between macho and Liz when they worked together after the divorce?
1: It was a professional relationship.
0: Uh, heal by nature wants to know who was Randy close with backstage in the locker room. Not so sure. Randy was close with anybody. Uh, I, it probably
1: could have been perceived that he was close with Hogan because he was a top star and Hogan had him brought in, but I'm not so sure that Randy was close with anybody.
0: Uh, winter decay he asked the type of questions we need on this show mm. uh, when the macho man would order his whopper at the burger king drive-thru would he order mm. it in his voice or would he break kayfabe
1: Fabe? you know uh randy savage's voice was kind of like the randy savage voice that you heard only it was a lot lower key right he had a very gravelly deep voice that was very close to his real voice i mean he wouldn't you know shout you know dig it or shit like that, but it was Randy Savage's voice.
0: Michael wants to know, did you ever notice any tension or heat firsthand between macho and Hogan and WCW? Never noticed any of that. Never noticed it. It was all perceived. Derek wants to know, uh, was he as fucking mental as he seemed?
1: Yeah, I, I believe he was. I, I believe Randy Savage. I don't think mental is the right word, but I think Randy Savage got into a character and did a great job about it. I think we kind of touched on it earlier. Randy got into a character to where he really became the macho man, Randy Savage, and that was that real character in the ring. I, th- I thought he did really good with that. And that character was, as Heenan would always say, you never know what he's going to do. He's crazy. He's nuts. He's he's off the wall. I, and I believe that Randy Savage, when the bell rang or the promo started or the day started, actually became the Macho Man, and that guy was kind of unhinged.
0: Uncle Jasper wants to know, I heard Macho and Gene Okerlund performed a London Bridge on Sensational Sherry. Any truth to that rumor? Wow. I, uh, no, none. Bill Rowland wants to know. whether the fuck? Wait, where- <laughs> you actually
1: brought that question up? I mean, yeah. of all the questions you get, you brought that question up?
0: Man, we haven't talked about Klondike we're, Bill we're, once on this show. What? If I don't do something Klondike like, what what, what are we doing? London Bridge on Sherry. You're ah. you you're a London Bridge Diva? Uh, no, I have not. What about I have? What about Eiffel Tower? Cincinnati Bowtie. <laughs> Cleveland Steamer.
1: Hold on a second.
0: Rusty uh, Trombone. L-
1: L- <laughs> London Bridge. Did you say Cincinnati <laughs> Steamer? No, what no. The C- other?
0: Cincinnati Bowtie.
1: Cincinnati Bowtie, okay. Yeah.
0: Cleveland Steamer. Cleveland Steamer, okay. Dirty Sanchez. And Dirty Sanchez. Should I ask Lois about all these? Blumpkin. Donkey Punch. No, don't ask her about any. She probably knows about the Blomkin, in fairness. Um, Bill wants to know were there any guys that Savage refused to work with when he first came in? Not that I recall.
1: That's, again, Randy Savage, and, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm, and I really feel this way. I know this. He's a professional, man. He's a pro. He really is. He's one of the great pros in wrestling. The reason that he is remembered so fondly by the boys was because of what he was. He, he was just a professional.
0: Do you know if Klondike Bill and, and Macho Man ever uh, did any business together? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who said that one?
0: No, I'm just, I just hey, hey, it's
1: Conrad 19.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, like okay.
1: Fuck. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so, but Klondike and, uh, Angelo Pappo could have uh,
0: right? late to the nitro party wants to know what did Savage think of working with Tenzan at Starcade 95? It seems like an odd matchup.
1: Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think he liked it. I think he liked working with Japanese wrestlers and look forward to it. You know, uh, Look, we know right, the Macho man in his heyday was a tremendous worker. And uh so he look he looked forward to stuff like that.
0: Uh late to the nitro party says who made <laughs> Savage's ring attire? Some of this stuff looks like it's two tablecloths sewn together.
1: <laughs> I don't know who made it, but uh come on. I it it was it was it was good shit. I loved his ring attire, didn't you? The hat Oh, I and loved it! It it was all colorful. It made him unique.
0: I actually have um one of his outfits, like the 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 top and the trunks or the pants yeah. or whatever. Uh, yeah, good I mean, shit, right? It's good stuff. It's super fun. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> why, why shit on? Why shit on that stuff when it was it was it was the Macho Man? I mean, think about the Macho Man that first started in the WWE or the WWF after he had, you know, had been doing all these smaller promotions, how he looked then and how he really evolved into the macho man with that persona. I thought it was good. It was on a different scale than a recognizable scale as Ric Flair's robes were.
0: No doubt. No doubt. Well, and we're trying to be recognizable here. We actually asked you on Twitter. We had a great suggestion from Crockett, Froggy. Uh, one of our hardcore fans, uh, he's, he's been with us since the beginning and he tweeted to me, if you had a tag team with Tony Schiavone, what would it be called? I thought that was an excellent question. So I encouraged everybody to reply to that tweet with their suggestion. And I said that Tony would go ahead and pick a winner and a winner is going to get a t-shirt from pro forward slash WHW. And you'll see all kinds of stuff like this happen on our Twitter account. Go throw us a follow at WHW Monday we had lots of suggestions here the greatest team in the history of our sport the glass bottom yeah. boat boys uh the glass bottom crew the shark foundation the wild-eyed southern boys the button and the beast the z-men the wild-eyed slapdicks i mean we've got tons and tons and tons of fun names on here but if you had to pick one and you've had an opportunity to kind of scroll through there is there one that really caught your eye and you thought boy this is it i'm um, and before you answer, Tony, let me tell you, I was a big fan of the popcorn farts. Uh, that was one I was not ready for. Slapdick Mortgage, that's pretty good. The West Hollywood Slapdicks, the Medusa McMichael monogram or Mammogram Masters. I think Mammogram Master may be good for you. This kind of describes us, bellies and buttons. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> did that get it? Oh, there it is. I think we have a winner, ladies and gentlemen. We have a Bellies and Buttons, you have become the proud recipient of a brand new shirt. Go ahead and slide in our DMs. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at WHW Monday. Bellies and Buttons is the name of our new tag team. And uh, we're bringing the action back to you next week with a brand new poll. Go vote right now, at WHW Monday. I picked all the poll topics last week. So this week, Tony, you get to pick all the poll topics. What is on the poll next week? Poll option number one.
1: Pull option number one is working with the American dream, Dusty Rhodes.
0: So if we talk about Dusty Rhodes, you spend a lot of time with him. Specifically, are we just going to go down Tony's memory lane and not necessarily break down year by year or a specific angle, just going to freestyle for an hour or two about your memories of the American dream? Yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do.
1: We're going to freestyle that. Uh, I, Because my, uh, my relationship with Dusty started early, obviously when I first started, and it broke away a little bit and then it came back wcw he came back as the booker then it broke away a little bit then we became a friend well we always were friends but we became uh, broadcast partners so i had a lot of different relationships with him i don't think you can really span my relationship with dusty by breaking it down year by year
0: so there you go the american dream as told by tony Schiavone, and that's almost on the one year anniversary of us talking about dusty roads on the Bruce Pritchard show that's available in the archives. If you'd like to check it out, what's poll option number two, Tony.
1: Poll option. Number two is my relationship and my dealings. <laughs> I'm going to regret this one with the nature boy, Rick flair.
0: Well, this will be a fun episode. The greatest of all time, the Nature Boy himself. And you recently caught up with the Nature Boy. We should go ahead and catch everybody up. You're actually doing a wrestling radio show again right there in Atlanta. Tell everybody about it and where they can go find it.
1: Uh, the uh, name of the uh, wrestling show is Pro Wrestling Wednesday. It's Wednesday nights, 9 to 11. It's on ninety two nine. The Game in Atlanta. Atlanta. It's uh, the top sports talk radio station in Atlanta. I've been working there part-time for them for about a year now, and they wanted to start doing a wrestling show. I do it with a gentleman named Bo LeBlanc. Uh, I There are a couple of days, actually there are many days in the month of August uh, that I'm not going to be available uh, because of baseball. But once September starts, uh, I'm going to be on there all the time. We did talk to the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. I did a, a very interesting interview with him on our first episode Ah, uh, which aired on the nineteenth of June. Uh, so, uh, and also uh, we uh, we talk about the podcast here. We talk about uh, uh, what happened when Monday, and we give uh, Conrad Thompson his props. And uh, so, it's been a lot of fun. And as you know, Atlanta was a big part of. Well, it was the home of WCW. So,
0: it, it, there you go. And it's home to a lot of great Nature Boy Ric Flair stories. And he's poll option number two. Uh, That is going to be a show that will get us thrown right off the air, and and I can't wait for that. So we've got two barn burners so far, man. Your memories of the American dream, your memories with the nature boy. Uh, What is poll option number three? Let's make it hard for them.
1: Poll option number three, and I've thought long and hard about this. Conrad, you and I have talked off the air about this, about leaving this off, but i got to do it. Uh, My relationship with Bobby the Brain Heenan.
0: Wow, I have no idea how we're going to get a winner this week, folks. Bobby the Brain Heenan, one of the more controversial figures, because of his stance on Tony Schiavone, he's put lots of rumor and innuendo out there about Tony Schiavone not being the nicest guy, not being the best coworker, uh, just not being a good di- a good guy to do business with. And we're going to set the record straight next week, and uh, this is going to piss some people off, I'm sure. Poll topic number three working with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Last but certainly not least, poll option number four. We've got a barn burner so far. I'm sure everybody wishes we could do all three, but we can't. We've got to pick one. What's our fourth selection, Tony?
1: Our fourth selection is the change uh, in WCW from Bill Watts to Eric Bischoff uh, and my relationship with Eric before then, after then, and uh, how my work and relationship with Eric went through the years. A lot of people have always asked me Eric had to be a big dickhead. Did you like working with him? Was he good to you? How was your relationship with him? Were you pissed off when he took over the company and you did not get, you did not get the call to run the company? I'll answer all those questions when we talk about Eric Bischoff in one of our selections.
0: So there you go. We've got a unique poll option for you next week. Instead of talking about long form about what happened and using lots of observer notes and going through a timeline, or career, you know, chronologically. Instead, we're doing it completely from Tony's point of view, just telling stories. We've got four of the most famous characters in the history of wrestling, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Mr. Controversy Creates Cash himself, the guy who researched professional wrestling for WCW and invented the NWO, Mr. Eric Bischoff. So those are your four poll topics. Go vote right now at WHW Monday. Tell your friends to subscribe. Please spread the word. We're trying to grow the show. We want to give you what you want. We'd love to hear your feedback. There's two places you can communicate with us. Uh, most of all, it's Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. And Tony and I are both very active on Twitter. He is at Tony 24. I am at HeyHey, It's Conrad. And you can vote in our poll and participate with questions. On Twitter, it's at WHW Monday, go throw us a follow. If you haven't already, Tony, I feel like we've ran long. And when I look at my clock, it feels like it's about that time. Conrad, you're right. And if I could, let me uh, take this
1: microphone and get into the ring here, because I have got something I would like to say, uh, I found out just recently that, uh, actions of my past have had serious consequences. It has changed my life. And I found out that I dated this woman and nine months after we had our last date, she had a baby boy. And I was afraid this would change my life. It has changed my life, but it's changed my life for the better. My life has changed since January 30th because of this baby boy. And I'd like to bring him in the ring right now. Here he comes. Ladies and gentlemen, my son, my firstborn, Conrad Thompson. (laughs) (laughs) And I am desperately out of time.
0: I love you, Dad.